Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Yes, yes. Hello and welcome to another episode of Affirmative Murder, the Equal Opportunity True Crime Comedy Podcast. I am Alvin Williams, joined by a gentleman who this week, this past week, uh, broke the internet. Uh, some days I sit up and I wonder to myself, after you know a couple of years of doing this podcast, I'm like, why does this dude? Why does he have such an allegiance, uh, an allegiance of fans and? And, and, and why are they sending him murals with himself painted as a general of a, a 16th century army? And they send him Reese's cups, buckets and buckets of Reese's. I don't understand. Why does he have the name Fran Starr? I don't understand it. And then we get a moment like we got last week. Uh, of course, I'm talking about Mr. Francel Evans. Please, you know, make your make your presence known. What up? I don't even, I'm confused. I don't even know what you're talking about. What's going on? What did, what did I do? I don't understand. Oh, you aren't aware. No. Oh, you go. I understand. Once you once you make the heat that you make, you just go back to living your life. You don't even yeah, go man. back and ponder yeah. on what just happened. I got other things I got to focus. Well, on. Well, people, uh, the internet went crazy over the uh, your movie p- pitches and uh, plots oh, for really? the Oscar movies. Yeah, uh, it was uh, pandemonium is the only word I can use. Uh, <laughs> people went absolutely nuts. They blew up all the socials, messages. Yeah, uh, there were re- reviews left on Apple Podcasts specifically about the episode. <laughs> was uh, there really? Yeah, yeah. It, it was. It was. It was pandemonium to say the least. And to making it clear now whether Fran has agreed to or not, because he doesn't even. He's not even aware of the the pandemonium. Um, more Fran on film will be coming. Rest assured. Uh, you know, uh, it is. It will be coming. Uh, you know, TBD. We got we we got to get to work on that. Mm-hmm. But no, I, we got to give the people what they want. They went crazy for that. Um, it will probably be a separate venture. Maybe we'll you know that'll be the kicker off of a Patreon type of situation. And uh, for anybody who really wants to see more of that, hear more of that, uh, it will be available in a situation like that. So you know, coming up near in the future, uh, more Fran on film will be coming. You know, uh, so but yeah, I, I don't know how you didn't. Catch wind of that. No, people, people were absolutely going nuts uh, no. on all the socials. So, 
<laughs> How does that make you feel? No. No. It's unaffected, man. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. Got just, life to live, man. Just how my brain works, man. Just I spit it out and then that's about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you de- <laughs> you definitely did that. It was it was some of the craziest shit I've ever heard in my life, but it was it was profound and it was it was it was pretty miraculous to be a part of and be yeah. in the room and witness it. It was like, you mm-hmm. know, I'm sure it was probably the first like the first time somebody heard the Beatles, you know, it was like, Whoa, what is this? I don't yeah. I don't know if the world's ready for this, but we put it out there and they were ready and they want more. So so I gotta say on that. Other than that, Fran, what's been going on, man? How I I was gonna ask you how have you been feeling with the sweep of, you know, you know, yeah. frandemonium, mm-hmm. but it didn't affect you even a little bit. So no. what, how's life just been just being regular Schmegler Fran? That's it. Just regular, uh, regular work week. Nothing new. Nothing new. My to boy's report? growing. That's about it. Family's okay. healthy. Yeah, okay. Everybody's That's fine. That's always beautiful to hear. Um, I'm still upright, so I wake up every morning. I mean, As I'm still standing. To what? I'm still waking up every day. Still, I'm still standing, standing. Still strong. Yeah, okay, I'm yeah, not. Okay. I'm alive. I'm still living my life. Everything's fine. I'm happy. How about yourself? I'm good, man. I'm, just before we started recording, I foolishly ate a Thai chili. I, I couldn't really tell you why I did that. Mm-hmm. Um. Sierra likes to make spicy sauces. Yeah. And I was like, oh, probably aren't that hot. Ate one. It was definitely that hot. Foolish uh, of you. Yeah, it was pretty foolish of me. I'm going to regret that later on when it comes out the other end. Yeah. Um, I had to pop open some oat milk because there's no, there's no cow milk in this house. We don't do that. Um, probably knocked down about half a carton of that. Mm-hmm. And it neutralized. Kind of milk? Oat. Oat milk. Oat milk. Okay. Yes. Um, neutralized it enough for me to proceed and carry on throughout the show. Yeah. And uh, here we are. So, you know, I'm still standing too, Fran. Yeah. I'm still standing too. Haven't really been keeping up with the news. I want to make that clear one last time. So I don't have anything to really banter with you about. Uh, did that tax money come through yet? Mine? No, not yet. Okay, yeah. I, we haven't even filed our I taxes I haven't done yet. mine. So. Steph done hers. I haven't done mine because I'm not really um, pressing back. So. Yeah, yeah. Shout out to everybody who's, you know, who, who's enjoying that tax money. Yeah. Uh, make sure you do something grand with it, man. Don't go out, and, you know, just buy some Louboutins and and yeah. fucking don't go to TV. Uh, Fogo de Fogo de Show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you don't, if you couldn't just go to Fogo de Show on a on a regular schmegler Thursday night, yeah. don't use the tax money to go to Fogo no. de Show. You know, it tastes better when you earn it, not when it's like let's treat ourselves. Yeah. You know, you want to treat yourself, go buy some stocks or something. I don't know yeah. things that make sense. That you know, I don't know what people do with their money to invest, but go invest. Make a smart purchase with your money. Don't just go buy things. Yeah. That's the only advice I have. I know a lot of people that you know tax. They get the tax money and they think of it like a like a some kind of payday bonus or yeah. you know it's oh let's just go buy dumb shit. Don't go buy dumb. Don't buy dumb shit, man. You can buy dumb. Buy, go buy dumb shit with the money that you work for. Yeah, the money that just falls into your lap that's ne- doesn't fall into your lap every day. Do do something, you know, that makes sense. People go crazy, man. Yeah, man. People. I mean, people buying shit. That why would you buy that? I know somebody that got a Benz Whoa. with the tax money. Meaning, they just got they used the tax money to take it off the lot, but now you got a six hundred seven hundred dollar car note. Yeah, yeah, it's like so now you go back to the life that you're living, and you can't Not afford smart. to do that. You know, now Not you're smart. ducking the fucking uh, repo man. Yeah, man, it's a video on Twitter where like people was chasing the mail truck. I think that Did was in Baltimore. That? I saw that. Yeah, it was in Baltimore actually. Yeah, that I'm on nuts. your ass, Mr. Postman. That's nuts. I, <sighs> I'm still waiting for my W twos. Like, so I don't, I don't care. I, it, I, and also, I have nothing to do with that. They don't, people don't I get hear that, man. The ma- I'm not, I don't make your W-2s. The mail, the, the company you work for sends them to you. <laughs> they come to us. Uh, I'm just a third party. Don't yeah. ask me where your W-2s are. 
If I don't have them in the bag, it's because we didn't get them. People don't want to hear that, man. Nah, it's like, you, you have my W2s, You, you mail, are man. responsible for get. Hey, man, whatever I have, you get. That's the only <laughs> thing I can tell you. Like, why would I want to keep your W-2? What, what, what <laughs> am I going to do with that? Impersonate you? <laughs> I'm going to file your taxes? God, That's man. a felony. People don't understand what I go through every day. <laughs> Damn, man, where are my W-2s? Sir, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. That's not my responsibility. I got my I, headphones. I, I got to double tap my headphones. What? Yeah, what, what you, I'm just wondering, man. Do you know where my W-2s are? No, man, look. Here are some coupons to Giant. And that's all I got for you today, you know? Yeah. Here's a, uh, some coupons to Bed Bath & Beyond. <laughs> and I think this may be a letter from the, uh, the, uh, the um, what's that, the home the home sweet steaks, the, the people that just sing y'all. You, wa- you won $10,000. Oh, just fill this house. out. Yeah, you, yeah, you just got some publishing clearinghouse yeah. things for you. And that's all I got. There's no, no W-2s for you this week, sir. Yeah. And I don't have anything to do with that. Please get out of my way. People are trying to hear that, man. Anyway. check. I get it, but I, I feel for you because you're not the pre- you're not the person who's responsible for that. So it's like, get, leave me alone. It's not about me. Yeah. Call your boss. Who still gets checks in the mail? Well, I mean, people get checks in the mail. Why? Um, I don't know. I was talking to somebody at my job because... I, or, no, I wasn't talking. I overheard a conversation because I don't talk to anybody <laughs> at my job. Rabbit. Yeah, I overheard a conversation <laughs> where the kid, there was a young kid saying, yeah, I got the IRS app. And if you have the IRS app, it'll tell you how long... Yeah. You know, you can keep... It'll tell you when, you're, when your done. money's coming back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he was saying... If you do direct deposit, the money comes faster. Yep. And the guy said something like, I still get checks. And he was like, why? And I think the guy said something about government. Mo- yeah, something, you, yeah, something like something, something, that, just, yeah, dumb, that, something that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> well, you know, they make mistakes like that. It's like, yeah. well, okay. Well, then you'll get your tax return in two months. <laughs> that's a, that's a long, it's crazy it takes that long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the kid was like, the kid said basically, yeah, it was a you know, young Caucasian kid said, yeah, basically, like I filed mine on last Thursday, and I got mine like in four days. It was yeah. pretty crazy. And but then I looked up the exchange, and I I switched it over to if I wanted to get a check, and it said like something like two months, two months or something yeah. like that. I was like, fuck that. Yeah, just get the direct deposit. Yeah. Some people don't have bank accounts. They don't trust the government. They keep their money under the bed, and you know things like that. It's super that? stupid, man. What the hell? So if your house goes up in flames, then you lost everything. <laughs> you lost all of your money, and the government has nothing to, had nothing to do with your stupid house burning down, and your money's gone. You keep 30, 30 grand just in the house yeah. in that's a bag. Like, that's how my bar is, though. He does. He doesn't do like well, that's, cards. That's, yeah. Well, that's because he's 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 defrauding the government. That's how bar, <laughs> that's how barbers do. Yeah. If yeah. you're in the cash business, you just act like, oh, I don't have a job. Yeah. That's not how that works, man. <laughs> that really is not how that works. You can't do that. You have to launder that money somehow. You know, you got fucking forty grand at home, and you got to use it. You know, peel it off two hundred dollars at a time because you can't go make any crazy purchases with cash. Yeah. That's suspicious as shit in twenty twenty. <laughs> You bought a you bought a fucking whole furniture set cash. Somebody somebody red flagged that when when you bought that. Give somebody eight grand in cash yeah. at a store. No, wow. somebody remembered your face. <laughs> Don't do anything illegal that day because you're gonna they're gonna trace you back to that store. Like, oh yeah, that dude he spent like he gave me like he bought a TV cash. Yeah. Somebody yeah. What? Yeah, you're you're remembered. You're remembered if you're dropping cash at places. Anyways, uh, we're gonna go ahead and you know yeah. keep it keep it short on the, on the banter this week. We're gonna go ahead and jump into these you know this fucked up shit. And when uh, what I want to do is I want to play uh, "Borderline" by Tame Impala, that new Tame Impala album. It's fire! Uh, so when we come back and get into these fucked up shit, so stick around.
All right, and we are back, friend. This week, I got my affirmative murder from this fantastic show on Netflix called I Am a Killer. I don't know if okay. you've checked out any other episodes, but it's a great show. It's basically um, people being culpable for crimes they committed. Like, yeah. like if they committed a murder, they're you know, you know, they get an interview to tell their side of the story, and then they go over the case again. Mm -hmm. And you know, a lot of the times, it'll be you know they're a killer, but the circumstances are something you can empathize with. Like, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I was in a domestic violence relationship. I killed somebody to stop them from beating up another person. So they did do it, though? Yes. Okay. Yes, yes. So none of them on there saying they're innocent. Like Nobody's saying okay. they're innocent. They're all in prison, too. Like, okay. for every, every episode I've seen has been, like, a person who's in prison. How long are they? Hour? Yeah, about 45. Okay. You know, the the length it would be if there were commercials. Oh, okay. which So it was, like, 44 minutes. Yeah. Um, uh, this one this week, I don't, I think it's from the second season, and I believe the name of the episode is uh, "Sympathy for the Devil." Okay, and uh, and I renamed my my written transcribing of the story, mm -hmm. "The Tale of Two Miguels." Okay, okay. So on the night of January 17, 1991, 17-year-old Miguel Martinez, along with friends Milo Flores and Miguel Venegas, who will be referred to as Venegas from here on out, uh, were hanging out and uh, smoking weed and doing cocaine. And when they got the bright idea to go out and do some hood rat shit with each other, you know, mm -hmm. knock over some mailboxes, things of that such. But they decided they wanted to go break into a house, fuck the house up and steal. Yeah. So according to Miguel, they had decided to break into the home of a guy that Miguel worked for. And uh, he had stayed, he would stay with him some nights as well. But no relation, just a guy that he worked for and he would sleep on his couch sometimes. Okay, so he knew this person. So he knew this person and he had a key to his house. Gotcha. Oh, that's not breaking in then. I mean, unlawful entry. Is it? Yeah, I mean, if you... If I if you gave me a key to your house and I just came over because you asked me to, it's one thing. But if I came over and fucked your house up, I mean, maybe maybe breaking in is the wrong word, but it, you did something illegal. Okay. If I break in, if I come into your house and steal, I'm stealing. Yeah. So I didn't break in, but whatever. They came in without permission. Yeah. Um. Yep. So they came there with the intention of trashing the house. To their surprise, when they showed up to the home and began scoping it out. They saw through a window, you know, they're creeping outside the house. They saw through a window that somebody was asleep on the living room couch. This was not a part of the plan. They thought nobody was going to be home. Mm -hmm. uh, Miguel says he wanted to bail, but Venegas didn't care. He was on a mission for Satan, and Satan wanted their souls. Oh, so he wanted to kill somebody. Yeah. He had the intentions of it. Yes, okay. but Miguel Martinez is like, no, I, I just wanted to steal a TV or something and maybe spray paint a wall, like, cops suck or something you know you know some shit like that and this guy's like no 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 we're following through with the plan the devil wants their souls yeah. which is a super twist on a crazy cocaine weed night i throw up a deuce and i'm out of there you should M miguel did not do that hmm. 
Venegas convinces Miguel to follow through with their plan despite the major complication and they made their way into the home with a key that Miguel had. According to, uh, according to Miguel, Venegas beat and stabbed the young man sleeping on the couch to death before turning to him and saying, it's your turn. After which Miguel says he stabbed the already mutilated body once or twice. So he's basically saying the guy was the guy was pretty much dead and he turned to me and I was shocked that this guy just did this and I didn't want him to hurt me. So I just kind of, you know, stabbed him once or twice. Yeah, that's his side of the story. Uh, after that ordeal, Miguel recalls walking out into the backyard to catch his breath and collect his thoughts after witnessing and participating in such a brutal act of killing. He says when he walked back in from outside, he found Venegas standing over another body in a bedroom in the home. He told Miguel to give him the axe because there was one more soul to collect in the house. They fled the house with a TV, some other trinkets, and the, uh, the homeowner's car. I want to know how, you, how do you... I know it's like a whole like mental thing, but how do you go over there and collect these souls? How do you physically collect a soul like oh that's a whole that's a question i can't answer i'm not in that <laughs> state of mind like you have, you have to already believe in the concept of the devil and souls being to even be able to tell somebody how you collect the soul yeah. i would assume step one is remove the soul from the body i.e killing it yeah and then maybe put you it just, in jars and- yeah or maybe you just believe once you release it from this body the devil comes you know pick it off like an apple from a tree yeah. oh cool i got that thanks but I don't know. I'm not crazy. So good question. I can't answer. I tell you what. Um, you can call Miguel. Miguel Venegas is in pri- is in prison still, and so is Miguel Martinez. You can call Miguel Venegas. You, I can give you his information. And you can call him up. See if you can get you know through on the prison phone, mm-hmm. and you can ask him. No. All right. Not. Cool. Well, that, then you then you don't want an answer that bad, do you? I know I don't. <laughs> <laughs> Just throwing it out there. Uh, so three people were killed in that home that night. Uh, Ruben Martinez, who was 20 years old, Daniel Daniel Duenez, who was 14, and they both were from Nuevo Laredo, Mexico, and the homeowner James Jim Smiley, who was the who was a 33 year old Baptist minister from Laredo, Texas. Mm. So basically, this story. As it starts off, it's kind of uh, it's like an ethnic cleansing propagandist dream. You know, if, if you if you live in America, if you live in what happened, if you live into what happened to my America, America, where it's like everybody's brown now, get them out of here. And then you hear about this story about these Mexican immigrants who killed this church going white man. This is all you need to rally up and like go fucking, you know, beat up some brown people, vote them out to get them out of the country, be a, you know, get a build that wall sticker put on your car. These are, this is one of those kind of stories. Yeah. But it's more complicated than that, and I will get to it. This story is, is, is pretty nuts. Uh, Jesus Torres led the investigation that started when officers arrived on the scene the following day on January 18, 1991. He described the level of violence as incredible and recalled a crucifix that was next to Jim Smiley's bed being turned upside down. Which is, you know, you know what that means. Yeah. Uh, demonic shit. Uh, detectives immediately noticed there was no forced entry. And, uh, you know, as you know from doing this podcast, most homicides, for the most part, other than anomalies such as serial killers and mm-hmm. such, most homicides are committed by someone who knows the victim. Mm-hmm. That's just statistically true. 
So that is what leads them in the direction of, oh, if nobody broke a window to get in here, somebody who had access to the home is who did this. Yeah. So, you know, that's that that's that the, that classic uh, detective's deductions. You know, you you know that's what they get paid the bucks for. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't say big bucks because I don't think detectives are out here making bank like that. Which is crazy. Yeah, especially now in Baltimore because they'll do all kind of shiesty shit to make extra money. Like, yeah. you look up the gun trace task force, which we, which we talked about on here many times. But, you know, if you're not getting paid, you find a way to cut some corners. Maybe, you know, stiff a drug dealer. You pull over a drug dealer. He's got cash. You take the cash, let him go. Take the cash, take a little bit off the top, say, you know, he had five grand, but he had eight. You kept Mm -hmm. three, whatever. Those kind of things, they happen every day. I'm not saying all cops do it, but they do it. It happens. Uh, So, yeah, so the crucifix were turned upside down. The detectives immediately, you know, based on the the house not being broken into, they deduced that somebody who knew Jim Smiley did this, which led the officers to Miguel because of his prior employment and on and off living status with Jim Smiley. Uh, And Miguel led... The detectives to say get Miguel. Miguel leads to Vegas. I mean to Venegas, and the two of them lead to Milo, who drove them to the house that night. But didn't he was the getaway driver? How did they know he was staying with them? Well, they knew he had worked. They knew he had worked. For, oh, okay. They knew he had worked for him, and I would assume maybe they knew he had stayed with him sometimes because of a neighbor or something oh, like okay. that. But they knew he had worked for him at least. Oh, okay. Maybe after picking him up, they found out that he also would stay there sometimes, and that's how he had a key. Yeah. Uh. So uh, now Milo didn't just drive them to the house that night. He also provided them with the axe and the knives. Mm. Uh, As it turns out, though, Milo's dad was a district judge named Manuel Flores. Detectives showed up at the Flores home and informed Manuel that Milo had been involved in a triple murder and asked if the weapons were on the property. Manuel complied and provided the detectives with the axe and the knives, which had both been returned to the to the house of Milo that night, apparently. Mm. Uh, Judge Martinez says Milo's recollection, because he won't, he didn't let his son speak in the interview. He said his son just wants to, because his son is in, in jail. He says his son just wants to be done with this. He doesn't want anything to do with this anymore. Uh, but Judge Martinez says that Milo's recollection of that night is the, uh, Venegas and Miguel showed up to, to Miguel Flores's, I mean, to Milo Flores's home, either together or separately. He's not sure. Uh, wanting to trash a house and do something bad to someone who appeared to be good, but was actually bad. Okay. Referring to Jim Smiley. Yeah. Now, my mind went somewhere that I'm not going to speak about yeah. right now, but it'll come back I up. Know. Okay. So don't yeah. say anything, though. Okay. But it, you know, and I felt bad thinking what I was thinking, but I'll continue with the, with the story. Judge Flores also acknowledges that when, that while Milo did provide Miguel and Venegas with the murder weapons, he chose not to give them guns which he did have access to. And he goes on to say it's because, you know, Milo's a sweet person. He's a kind person. He would never hurt anybody. So he didn't, he told them a lie saying he didn't, that they didn't have guns and gave them knives and axes because he thought a gun would be more dangerous. Yeah. That's what, but this is a dad sticking up for his son. Mm-hmm. Um, Judge, Judge Flores ended up facing harsh criticism from the public and speculation that he used his position to protect his son from facing prosecution. Who wouldn't? It's not a question of who wouldn't. It's a question of, not even a question, that's illegal and immoral and you should be, you should lose your job. But as far as everyone... That's your son though. Absolutely. But as far as what... And what's interesting is if you if you watch it, which I highly recommend, he says a thing after you know, there are people said that, you know, da 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 da, that I might have did this. I wanted him to get arrested and face a jury and be and be uh, 
adjudicated because there was no evidence that he did anything wrong. So I wanted him to go through the whole legal process. Mm. They just decided that he didn't need to because there was not even a, enough evidence to bring him forward to prosecute him. And that's when I was like, all right, you didn't have to add that part. That made me feel skep- like uh, sketchy where you're like, I wanted him to go and be arrested yeah. and go to trial. Mm. That's what I wanted so that he could go through the real system. I was like, all right, man, look, you're laying on a little heavy now. Yeah. Your son isn't in jail. Relax. But again, I don't know. Maybe maybe it really is. Like I said, um, based on the evidence that I was provided with in I Am A Killer, it, it sounded like I won't even get into it because I'm going to get into it at, at the end. I'll come back around to how I feel about Milo being in jail, not being in jail and Miguel Martinez being in jail. Mm. Um, at 16 years old, Miguel was too young to face the death penalty. And Miguel, by Miguel, I mean Miguel Venegas. Okay. Miguel Venegas was too young to face the death penalty. He ended up accepting a plea agreement for a 41-year sentence for killing three people. Mm-hmm. According to Venegas, at eight years old, he became convinced that he was the son of the devil. Wow. At eight. That's at eight. Really young. Real early, man. <laughs> but that's like how old Damien was in The Omen. You know, he might have been like six. Sometimes you, when, when you know, you know. You know, when the dog when the dog doesn't want you to pet him and they're scared of you and, you know, you go to the aquarium and all the, the fish stay away from the glass, you know, you might be putting that vibe off. So he's uh, according to him, he said when he was eight years old, he became convinced that he was the son of the devil. He says back in his hometown of Juarez, Mexico, there used to be a bunch of black widow spiders around his home. Venegas believed that if he was if he was really the son of the devil, the black widows would not bite him. That's perfectly logical reasoning, right? I mean, why not? So he would fill up a jar with black widows that he collected, take his shirt off, and dump the spiders on his chest while yelling, I'm the son of the devil, or whatever that is in in, uh, Spanish, like, El Nino del Diablo, and then he's thrown, dumped the spiders on his chest, his bare chest, um, in front of the other kids in the neighborhood. He says they never bit him. I don't know if I believe that, or maybe they weren't black widow spiders. I can always find a line of reasoning <laughs> yeah. why it was why it wasn't true. Like one, maybe you don't know what a black widow looks like. Maybe they were just daddy long legs. Yeah. Daddy like, long legs don't, don't bite. bite. Right. So maybe it was daddy long legs, or maybe you made the whole fucking thing up. Yeah. Either one is completely possible. You brutally murdered three people. So I'm not like, you know, sure. Yeah, I believe all your like tales of your childhood. Uh, so he said he collected a jar of black, black widow, widow spiders. So it was that many black widow spiders. It was, a, it was a bunch of them in his words. A bunch of black widow spiders. You know how Juarez, Mexico is, Fran. You know. Juarez, Mexico, around his home. They're, they're, and he also says there used to be. So maybe they moved on to a new part yeah. of Mexico. But at this point, when he was around eight years old, Juarez, Mexico used to have a bunch of black widow spiders just all around his neighborhood. And somehow people weren't just dropping dead left and right from black widows just being everywhere. Yeah. But he collected a jar of them and dumped them on his bare chest and screamed and, you know, yelled, agitating the spiders. But none of them bit him because in his mind, he was the son of the devil. Hmm. Okay. Perfectly. I don't see anything wrong with that. It's a perfectly reasonable thing that he did. I don't, I don't see how black widow could be attached to. The devil? The devil was some type of demonic. That's because you're not crazy. That's why you don't know how souls are collected or the yeah. connection, the deep spiritual connection between the black widow and the devil that all crazy people know about, friend. Just catch up. Yeah. What are you, new here? <laughs> uh, Venegas moved from Juarez to Laredo, Texas at age 13. He met Miguel Martinez his sophomore year in high school. 
He knew of Milo through Miguel, but says he didn't know much about him personally. So he was just like a friend of a friend. Hmm. Venegas' recollection of the series of events that led to a triple murder that night are as follows. Milo had a reputation of being the guy that always had the coke on deck, right? So Miguel and Venegas made their way over to Milo's house where they hang, where they hung out and did some blow. Uh, Venegas liked coke, but hated mooching. So although they didn't have any money, they asked Milo, what can we do in reference to paying him back for the drugs? Yeah. So he, was, he didn't want to be like a freeload. Actually. Yeah, he was like, I mean, look, they're we're having ready. a good time sniffing up all this yayo, but come on, man, I can't pay you back with money, but what do you need? Like, um, you know, can I beat up a guy at school for you? What do you need? According to Venegas, Milo and Miguel Martinez, and this is again, now I didn't believe him about the Black Widow thing, but I kind of believe him here. It's It really is a... T- um, it's a three. It's a truth has three sides kind of thing. It's like it's his side, their side, and the truth, right? Mm-hmm. So I think some things about what he's saying are true. I think some things about what Miguel are saying are true. I don't know if I believe anything that the dad says, but it doesn't really matter. His son is not involved in this anymore and won't won't ever be. He's moving on. He's not in jail or anything. But according to Venegas, he says, um, "Come on, Siri, get out of here, Siri." Uh, Venegas, you know and wanting to be paid back for the high, he says that Miguel and Milo came up with the idea to go to Jim Smiley's house because Martinez had a key, which makes sense. I mean, yeah. why why would Venegas come up with the idea to come up with, you know, he, he maybe he doesn't know. I could believe somebody being like, hey, man, I got this key. You guys, you want, you want some money? We'll go break into this guy's house. I got his key. Yeah. That makes sense to me, you know? I'm not saying it's the truth, but it makes sense to me. Now, that doesn't take Venegas off the line because, like, I, we'll get into what the fuck he did that night. And he's not, a, 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 you know, a, a, um, ashamed or, mm-hmm. or, or bashful about what he did that night. He does not deny anything that happened that night. So they can't, he says that Milo and Miguel came up with the idea, which puts Milo back into the um, spotlight because that makes him kind of like a conspirator. Yeah. If it was his idea to go to the house, yeah. he's a part of what happened that night. But again, Milo's not in prison currently. So... Uh, uh, they plan to go to Jim Smiley's house and, you know, because, because, um, Miguel has a key and Miguel says he knew of a stash of money that Jim kept. So it's extra motivation. Like, oh yeah, yeah. I know where he keeps the money. He's got, he keeps like what, X amount of money there. And they're like, what? Oh shit. Let's go get that shit. Uh, Venega says he was all in on the plan because he wanted more Coke, which is, it was such a brutally honest kind of thing. I was like, I mean, shit, that yeah. makes Sounds true to me. He's like, yeah, I was like, fucking, let's go rob that motherfucker then. I want more coke. Uh, he also said initially that Milo said, and this this is big. He says that Milo initially said, we can scare Jim Smiley into giving up his stash with guns. Until he left the room, went to go get the guns, and realized that his dad had put the guns back into his gun safe and locked it. Mm. So he goes, oh, shit, man. Never mind. My dad locked his guns up. But we got some shit out in the shed. We can go see if we can find something out there. Yeah. They go out to the shed. They find a baseball bat and an axe. They're like, well, shit, we'll just do, we'll use this. We'll use this. And we got some knives. So we'll put some knives in our pocket. And we'll go in the big weapon. will be a, a bat and an axe. Yeah. Uh, so as they were gearing up to leave, Venegas remembers saying, why don't we just kill the dude? And he recalls Milo and Miguel laughing him off and saying, you won't do that. Shit. <laughs> Friend, 
that's basically what he said. <laughs> like, 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 no exaggeration. It was, it was a moment of like kind of funny in a really dark way, but it was very much like he said they laughed at him and said he wouldn't do it, and he smiles and he goes, um, he basically starts telling the camera about this philosophy he has, where it's like, I come from a machista uh, culture, you know, it's very big on you know manhood, and a dare is a dare, and yeah. I was like, oh, this. Who said this? Venegas. Okay. Very creepy dude. The way he said it was super. It was, it was disturbing. Yeah. He's like a dare is a dare. So basically, them saying, nah, because I could see it. It was really crazy how you could picture the conversation happening. Where it's like, why don't we just kill him? <laughs> yeah, we'll kill him. Yeah, or yeah, or whatever. You're not even like that. And it's like, okay, yeah, we'll, we'll see when we get there. And they think, again, it's really crazy when you find out who the wild card is in the group too late, because. Mm-hmm. They were all thinking we're on the same page of we're going to break into this house, steal some shit or whatever. They have no idea they're with a guy who thinks he's the devil or thought he was the devil at a point in his life. Maybe has gone back and forth thinking that That's at points. Yeah. And they just think they're taking another friend of theirs to go do some, you know, bad shit, but not criminal fucking but, okay, so what life-changing shit. What was shit. the guy's name that, that actually did the killing? Miguel Venegas. And what's the other guy's name? Miguel Martinez. Okay. And they then got the same m- damn name? Yeah, the tale right. of two Miguels. Um, and then there's Milo Flores. But the two Miguels didn't know each other that well. The two Miguels knew each other, but Venegas didn't know Milo that well. Okay, but I'm so talking about Martinez Miguels. was talking about, talking They knew each other. They knew each other for a couple years. They okay. met when they, they he Miguel Miguel Martinez was 17 when the murders, the night of the murders, and Miguel Venegas, who is just Venegas, just yeah. to keep the, yeah. the confusion clear. Venegas was 16. He met M- Martinez when he was 15. So they'd known each other for about like maybe two years now at this point. But Which they, at what, that point in your life is kind of what kind of. But did they go over what kind of relationship they had? Was they close? I mean, they were they, were they were buddies. They hung hung out after school, smoked okay. weed together. All like right. I mean, again, like I said, that at that point in your life, if I'm 15 and I've known you for two years, that's a long time in that point in your life. Like, you how, know, how, how doesn't this come up though? I mean, I guess you can still wait, hide wait, it, like, No, I mean, look, how often do me and you get super deep in the conversation with each other where I'm like, yo, one time when I was like seven, I thought it was the devil. <laughs> <laughs> how does that come up organically? It really doesn't, you know? Like, you could think you know somebody, but they don't tell you that part. Yo, this one I time know, I got, I was mad. I, know, I was man. mad thinking I was the devil. I collected a bunch of black widow spiders and just dumped them on my chest and was like, yo, I'm the devil's son. Be like what? <laughs> I gotta Fuck go. <laughs> I gotta go, man. My mom's calling me. I gotta go home. <laughs> I need to leave. I guess. All right. Yeah. I need, yeah. <laughs> so I, that I guess that that didn't come up with between Miguel and Miguel about the devil. Thing. I wanna. I I I bet them being close friends. I, I bet that he had to like. This had to come up something. This had they to come might, up some way, but not like, again. but not like that though. Like some type like of joke, joke. He, put out, he hit out or something like, like that. Yo, man. And then the Miguel was just smoking like, the weed, like, burst it off. <laughs> yo, sometimes, yo, I be thinking, like, I'm the fucking, like, yeah. the devil's son. They're like, yo, you crazy fool. Yeah. Like, you know, the devil's son, bro. Like, and they're like, yeah, I told him no. <laughs> like, <laughs> if he felt, he got the catharsis from him. Like, it felt good to let get it off his chest. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. the dude was like, this dude's crazy. Whatever. Yeah. Devil's son. I don't know. That's whatever. That's a weird thing to say. But he's just. He's just crazy like that. He's the crazy friend that just says off the wall shit, you know? That's wild, He was man. dead ass serious. But anyway, back to the story. So, um, he said, like I said, he said a dare is a dare. They laughed at him, but he told him, like, yo, I, I think we should just kill him. 
They laughed it off and was like, anyway, let's continue through with this plan even though that dude just said that super sketchy thing. Let's just laugh that off. Um, also, as it turns out, Venegas was not only jacked up on coke and weed, yeah, but he had taken some hallucinogens earlier that day as well. Oh, wow. So he's the highest of highs. Oh, man. The most high. <laughs> <laughs> he's got fucking, fucking crazy shit going on in his head right now. And then it unlocked that that devil voice or whatever feeling that he had when he was yeah. eight, you know? So they they don't even know they're driving in a car with a dude who is off the wagon, yeah. you know? And they're just probably, you know, listening to Cypress Hill in the car, laughing. What, 91? Maybe some fucking Tupac or something. I don't know. They're just in the car laughing and shit, thinking they're about to go do some silly hood, rad, goofy yeah. shit. And this dude is like, fucking, no, I can't, Satan. I can't do that. And they're like, what? Yeah. What's he, what's he say? Don't worry about it. He's, he's just... Being just being old Venegas, laughing everything he did off, man, and continued to take him to a home where he did some pretty gruesome shit. Yeah. Uh. So yeah, he's all he's off hallucinogens. Now he's off coke and weed. Shit, all was mixing together. And he says that although he was definitely fucked up, he remembers everything pretty clearly. Which, I mean, I have to take his word for it. Yeah. You know, he he's. He's telling basically the same story that I told you in the beginning, yeah. which was Miguel's account. It's not really much different, and I'll con- I'll continue. You'll, you'll you'll begin to see the pieces kind of connect into each other mm-hmm. from a different angle, and that's why I believe that yeah, he might have been fucked up, but he knew it was he didn't just black out. Yeah, because that's a lot of that's a cop out for a lot of people who commit crimes. Like I just I don't even remember the, any of the night. Yeah, he's like I remember all of the night. Now was it <laughs> was it like that uh, when remember Grand Theft Auto the the Russian one came out when that was like the first game where if you drink beer, the whole screen will start slurring yeah. and the voices get deep he was like that but he's like I remember everything it was a little distorted but I remember most of everything that night he probably done so much so much coke that he's probably used to it and one more coke too yeah. he's doing this to get the coke so he re- he also remembers looking in the window of Jim Smiley as he lurked outside the uh, outside the window with Miguel which is the picture that I painted earlier mm. and coming to the conclusion right then and there that he was going to kill everyone in the home in that very moment that he stood outside of that window with Miguel. Venegas has re- had reverted back to his belief that he was the son of the devil and decided to claim those souls for Satan. Now, I've already established with you that Venegas has some, uh, some, uh, we'll call it weird. That's, I don't think that's strong enough, but he has a weird way of finding signs that he's connected to the devil, i.e. the Black Widows thing. Yeah. Uh, well, on this night, he, you know, his, his, his Satan sense is tingled again. Hmm. And uh, according to him, as he stood over the body of Ruben Martinez, which is the name of the young man who he killed on the couch, mm-hmm. as he stood over the body of Ruben Martinez, uh, Ruben Martinez was asleep on the couch. He was standing over his body trying to psych himself up, you know, to fucking bash this dude's brains in. But he wasn't moving. He was all, it was all in his head. He's yeah. like, come on, man, fucking let's do this. Which is nuts. I've hyped myself up to like go play basketball, but to be holding the axe in your hand ready to fucking split somebody's fucking skull yeah that's a crazy thing to be like getting jacked for yeah so anyway he's doing that and he says according to him while he was trying to psych himself up uh the young man martinez woke up looked at him and then went right back to sleep wow right so the hell is going so on he that? so he woke up this is again it's according to him this yeah. is a dude on, who was on hallucinogens cocaine weed so that could have been a fucking an aberration. I'm sure that's a lie. No way. 
But also, you know, I don't know. You wake up sometimes, you know, your eyes open up. Maybe he needs glasses. You know, you like wake up, and you're like, oh, whatever. And you just go back to sleep. No, you never just woke. Eyes just open up in the middle of the night for a half a second. And saw somebody standing on top of me and went back to sleep. I'm not saying you see somebody, but maybe he didn't see him. That's a hard thing to miss, but it might have been dark in the room. I don't know. I don't know. I wasn't there. But he says the guy woke up for a half a second, looked at him, fell back asleep. He took that to mean that the devil was in the house and he had his back. Like, I don't know, the devil put his hand over him and made him fall back asleep with devil magic or something. Like He took that as a sign. Like, oh, then fuck yeah. And fucking started beating the shit out of him with the axe. Wow. That was all the all this all the psyching up he was doing that wasn't getting him to move. Once he saw that, he was like, Oh, I'm good. Yeah. And went and just went off on this dude. Venegas also said that he had that he has no idea if Miguel did or didn't stab Ruben Martinez. Because he was just so focused on what he was doing. Yeah. So as we as I established earlier, Miguel's side of the story is Venegas was going nuts on this dude, and he told me it was my turn, so I just stabbed him once just to just to not have him turn on me. And Venegas is like, maybe he did, maybe he didn't. I don't know. I was in my bag, so yeah. I don't know. I was really <laughs> focused on collecting these souls. I don't know what was going on. He might have done it, he might not, which kind of shoots Miguel some bail. He's like, I don't know. It was all me. Yeah. I did this. But again, I'll get to how my, feeling, my feelings on, why, on Miguel still being in prison despite when I heard Venegas say that out of his mouth. Yeah. Where he's like, I fucking did. I don't even know if he helped. I was going to town. Yeah. Uh, so he was so he says he was so focused on what his task at hand. He said his goal, his only goal that night was to kill whoever was left in the house and leave. Venegas recalls the moment Miguel came back inside from the backyard after he, now revealing, he says, after puking, according to him. Mm-hmm. So Miguel's side of the story is, I just went outside to collect my thoughts or whatever. And... But then these two again are separated. They aren't together. They're telling a they're telling their different sides of the same story. But in Venegas' story, Miguel's coming back in from outside because he had to go throw up because mm-hmm. it was so nuts. Yeah. But Miguel kept that detail to himself, you know. Which you know, I'm not gonna make myself look like too big of a coward. Still the same story though. It is the same story. But yeah. I'm just saying that's a little. It's just those little details that you yeah. find in two people telling the same story is yeah. interesting. So he's saying he came back in from puking. Uh, Venegas recalls telling uh, Martin- Miguel Martinez, don't step out of this house again before we are finished or the devil will kill us. Hmm. That's how deep he, he he was basically completely gone. And he thought that if they quit doing what they were doing, that the devil would take revenge on them for not giving them the souls and take their souls. He probably said that prior to, he probably asked by why he went on and did his two little stabs. Probably. Might have. I don't know. I feel like I feel like. Well, no, he had already said outside of the house the souls thing. So he had already heard this dude say some weird stuff. So he might have. He might have been saying that the whole time. He might have yeah. been muttering to himself. Who knows what was going on in the house? Anyway, as I said, when when Miguel Martinez walks in, he he sees that uh, Venegas has stabbed this 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 kid yeah. named Daniel uh, Duenas. He stabbed him. He's fourteen years old now. Um, uh, Venegas says he didn't know that the dude was a kid. He just went in the room and started stabbing him. And while he was stabbing him, the dude woke up and he heard him saying like, hey, 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 stop. Mm. And he heard his voice and realized that it was a kid. Not that that makes it better, but that was just something he wanted to add. He still killed him though, right? He still killed him, but he didn't know he was 14, according to him. Not that it matters or anything like that, but he just, that's something he added along with some detail from the night. Didn't know he was 14. Maybe that's not part of uh, the soul taking criteria. 
Yeah, like he thought it was can't be an adult or something yeah. like that. I don't know. I feel like the devil would prefer kids, but I don't know. That's dark. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't. Why would you even? I, I don't, what? what? No, man. I don't. I don't read that kind of stuff. <laughs> uh, so, uh, like I said, Venegas is now standing in the room of the deceased fourteen-year-old, where the deceased fourteen-year-old Daniel Duenas was staying, and Venegas made his way to Jim Smiley's room after realizing that uh, Miguel Martinez didn't have the stomach for it. He told him to go stand in the corner. I got. Th- I'm gonna go finish this off. So go stand in the corner. I'm gonna go get this last soul. And then we can get the TV and bounce. Yeah. So he makes his way to Jim Smiley's room where he axes and stabs him to death, after which he turned a few crucifixes upside down and they fled. Venegas says he left the house happy because he knew he wasn't going to die. Okay. Yeah, I mean, shit. He did his job. He did it. Yeah, the devil won't be coming for him. And I actually have a clip I want to play. Which uh, ties back around to what I was talking about earlier and along with some other things. So I'm going to go ahead and fire that clip up right now. I can't lie. I can't say that I did not do something so heinous. And uh, the 41 years that were given to me is just like a little slap in the hand. I see Even if I do the whole time. Which probably is going to happen. Even if I do the whole time, it won't pay for one life, man. I can't say that there was a, a reason, right? There was a, a, a planning or an intention really behind going to this particular house. I knew the person that lived there. I knew he lived alone. Uh, as a matter of fact, I had been working for him. It was supposed to be what we had done before. Nobody home would go in and take something and what Venegas was insistent on was was doing some damage, tearing something up. I don't remember uh, I don't remember it like that. And he seems to have selective memory. I mean we all do. I'm not trying to transfer him because we're in it together. He came up with the idea to go to that house. He knew what we were gonna do. We shared the blame. Whether he accepts the fact or whether he's I I I thought he I thought he was kidding or no, he participated. And uh, he doesn't mention anything or he doesn't go into detail as to his relationship to uh, Mr. Smiley. He doesn't even want to say his name. Now, when we're in the house and I asked him, well, who's this guy? Ah, man, he's just some faggot. That's what he said. He's a faggot. Smiley was a pedophile. At least that's what my lawyer told me. First lawyer that I had. And I'm so young. I said, what the hell is a pedophile? He says, man, I have a families willing to testify in court that uh, Mr. Smiley messed with their kids. I don't know what kind of story uh, Martinez told you all, but uh, he had lived with this man. All right, so uh, that was uh, Venegas. Yeah, telling his last account of the night as far as how they 
how they how Miguel Martinez knew uh, Jim Smiley. And again, I had a weird feeling when the dad said this was a guy who appeared to be good, but is actually bad that there was some implication there that yeah. he might have been. And also he has these kids, one of the kids is 14. And again, these are, these are not related to this guy in any kind of way. This is a, a middle-aged or, you know, 30 something year old white man with two Hispanic immigrants living in his house. Now that could absolutely just be out of the kindness of his heart and nothing is wrong. But according to Miguel Martinez, the dude did, did some stuff to him. I don't yeah. want to speak ill of the dead because, because he's Jim Smiley is one of the victims here. But that twist within the story rocked me. Yeah. Because it makes you go, well, shit, I mean, if this dude is, is molesting kids. Now, they killed two other people in the house. Now, I'm not saying they, you should just kill him. If he's a, if they, if he's a child molester, he, you should just kill him. But his victim being in prison for the rest of his life when, one, he didn't kill anybody, according to both him and Venegas. Mm-hmm. He didn't kill anybody. Venegas killed everybody. He was just there. And this and two, this other thing coming out that he also is a victim of him him being molested by him. Yeah. It just feels super unjust. Already it already felt like it was unjust because he's in prison. And I don't feel like I don't feel like he's like not not culpable at all. He was an accessory to a triple murder, but he got the death penalty for these crimes. And Venegas got yeah, 41 40. years. Wow. So, you know, I'll continue on. What the on. fuck happened there? I'll continue on and kind of close things. I don't have any answers. I can I can speculate. I don't have any answers, but I just want to go ahead and close this out, the rest of the story. So, Joe Rubio, the former DA who prosecuted the Miguel Martinez case, says there was no evidence found to substantiate these claims and that the people that they spoke to, which doesn't really change my mind for me because you're going to speak to all the people that paint him the way you want him to be painted. Yeah. Again, I'm not trying to demonize Jim Smiley, but I'm just saying the district attorney who's trying to prosecute Miguel Martinez isn't digging around trying to make Jim Smiley look like the bad guy. Yeah. You're trying to convict Miguel Martinez. But he says everybody that he talked to said nothing but kind things about Jim Smiley and, you know, and that apparently, you know, people just like to spread malicious rumors. But I'll tell you like this, if I died tomorrow, nobody would just be like, you know, Alvin used to fuck dogs. Yeah. You know, where there's smoke, there's fire. Now, I'm not saying this dude couldn't have just been a guy who uh, liked helping wayward teens who were coming in illegally in the country or legally or whatever, or parents homeless or whatever. Maybe he just was a nice person and people thought that was weird, so they painted him in rumors, you know, whispers go around town. This could absolutely be that. And if it is, I, you know, I'm sorry to Jim Smiley, but I can only go off from the accounts of the people that are still alive. Mm-hmm. And the accounts of the people who are uh, who are alive, one of which lived with this man and worked for this man, says this dude molested me. Yeah. So I don't know. And what does he have to lose? He's in prison for the rest of his life. He's not going to get, you know, time cut from his sentence for calling this dude a, a pedophile. That's that doesn't help his cause. If anything, it probably hurts him if the the uh, the parole board finds out you're talking ill of one of the people that died the night you were there. So he just doesn't have anything to gain from saying this about him if it isn't true. And that's why I believe him. Mm-hmm. Uh, in 2002, after an, after an international campaign, Miguel Martinez's death penalty was commuted to life in prison. According to Joe Rubio, the Texas Rangers, as well as the FBI, looked into the case and came to the same conclusion that Milo Flores didn't need to be indicted for his part in the crimes. Mm-hmm. Uh 
which that also that that part felt like some classism. I don't know how much money Manuel Flores, the judge, who's Milo's dad, I don't know how much money he makes, but his position definitely helped Milo yeah. not be seen the same. Because to me, and let me know how you feel. To me, there's not much difference between what Miguel and Milo did. The only difference is Miguel was in the house. But Milo provided them with the weapons, drugged them up, and drove them to the house. Miguel maybe stabbed somebody who was already going to die and then sat in a corner while Venegas killed two people. Is Milo that much less culpable than Miguel is? In your opinion. Um, yeah, I think... Um, it's a big difference to you? Not a big difference, but I think... Enough of a difference to not go to yeah, jail. Yeah, because um, what's, what's Miguel... He had the key to the house. Yeah. He came up with the idea of going to that specific house. Along with Milo, though. Along with Milo saying what? They, uh, again, we're all, this is, we're coming from different sides. But according to Venegas, Miguel and Milo kind of gassed that idea up together of going to this dude's specific house. But how would he know he, if Miguel had the key, if he, he, he wouldn't have known that, though? I don't know. I don't know how close Miguel and Milo are that they don't, you know. Oh, I don't know. I could be wrong. You're right. I'm not trying to twist your, yeah. change your idea or change what you're saying. I'm just saying, according to Venegas, which again, there's a Miguel side, there's a Venegas side, and there's a Milo side. But according to Venegas, Milo was like, yeah, man, let's go to that house. Yeah. You know? I don't, I don't, but that doesn't mean if I give you a gun, you what you do with it is it's not It's not my me. problem. Yeah. I don't think, I don't see how that's But what fault. if I gave you a gun and told you to go rob a bank and we'll split the money? If I, but that's, that's my choice if I go and do it though. Fair enough. I, I'm yeah. just I'm just saying. Uh, but so Miguel Martinez has been eligible for parole since 2006 and has been denied every time due this, to the severity of the offense. So this dude is eligible for, for parole. I don't know if he'll ever get out of prison. I don't know how I feel about that. Having told you everything about Miguel Martinez, do you feel like he should have, one, been given the death penalty? Yeah. And two, no be question. on he should be given the death penalty? Oh, I'm thinking. Of, I'm thinking. Of, no, uh, not Venegas. I'm of, yeah, I'm thinking of him. Miguel Martinez. Miguel, no, he shouldn't. Have, I think it should be opposite of anything. Yeah, I mean, if if he would have gotten 41 years, had if 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 I had never heard the details of the story and only heard the surface thing, these two dudes went into this house. One of them did more of the killing, and Miguel Martinez took a plea for 41 years, and then they gave Miguel Venegas the death penalty. I'd be like, eh, that's pretty fair. But for the dude, and the only reason that Venegas was able to get that plea deal is because he was 16. Mm. And not 17. Wow. Miguel Martinez was 17. The difference between a 41-year plea and the death penalty. Now, I will say this. So you consider the minor still at 16? Yes. Now, now, Miguel Martinez was offered a plea for life in prison. He turned it down because he felt like he didn't do that much to be, uh, you know, given life in prison. I wonder what the they plea was. They took it to trial. Life. What? They, what was the, what was the, you the, say he, he declined it. He declined the plea. The plea was life. They went to trial, and the jury gave him a death, death penalty. penalty. Oh, okay. I'm yeah, getting, yeah, yeah, Okay, gotcha. Yeah. Okay, all right. Okay. Yeah, so that's got to be a super smack in your face where you're like, yeah. no, nah, man, I can get 20 or less, man. I, I was just there. I'm not taking that. I'm not taking I'm not spending he the rest of my life. He probably did it because it's, 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 it's not that much of a difference. What, life and what? Life and the death penalty. If you're going to be in there with no parole, life. What what is that big? What is the big difference? I'd rather this is me personally. 
I'd rather spend the rest of my life in prison and like die randomly but than somebody's I'm like, you're going to die about you this fighting day. it, though. you fighting it, though. Oh, like deciding to take it to yeah. trial? you fighting life in prison or the death penalty. That's a tough one. I don't know, man. Nah. That's a tough one. Really? That's, that's not that a tough one, one for I'll you? Fight, no, I'll fight If it's that like, the, here's the plea. The plea is life in prison or the death penalty. Yeah. You'll take it to trial? Either one, you're in there. So I don't see what the big of a difference is. Yeah, shit. I don't know. That's a tough one. That's a tough one for me. I just couldn't deal with the idea of having a like a sentence date for the day you're gonna die. Yeah, well, you know. But uh, my feelings on the Miguel Martinez thing is one. I don't think I don't even know if I feel like 41 years in prison is a fair sentence for him to have gotten if he would have gotten it. Because yes, he let them in. Yes, he might have participated in the on the tail end of one murder. But the guy who did all the killing and has come now. Another part of this is. Miguel Venegas, the guy that did all the killing, yeah. this is the first time he's spoken about what happened that night is on this I am a killer thing. So when the trial was going on and he took his plea and all that, he didn't say, I killed everybody and Miguel just stood in the corner. Oh, then that, which that was helped, a big part then. Which would have helped Martinez's case if he would have said that at yeah. the time. Yeah, but you didn't say that. Well, my bad. Well, <laughs> we were talking about... The plea deals and whatnot, but you didn't say that this didn't come up at all. In yeah, none the of the, none of none of this from Venegas' side had oh, come well, up. That, it was only it from makes, Mar- that. Yeah. All makes sense then. They're, they they were just going off of the information that yeah. they had, and and Venegas was taken out of it pretty early because yeah. he got his plea and, and he was looking anything. out for himself. Yes, yes, for sure. So uh, Martinez, Miguel Martinez, also has some feelings about Milo not being in prison at all. It, you know, the guy really seems like he's having a hard time dealing with. I don't see that much of a difference. And what me and him did for him to not be in jail at all, he said he's like basically saying I'm I'm not saying I shouldn't be in prison, but for him to not be in jail at no, all, but he wasn't in there. He was the getaway driver, right? Uh huh. He had the drugs, which I don't even understand why. He had the he he had the drugs and he gave him the weapons. Uh huh. And he has his dad who was a uh, judge. A judge. Uh huh. I don't see he was gonna get away with that. Yeah, it's just it just with his dad he was getting away with that. It just doesn't seem fair, but life's not fair, and I feel I yeah, feel man. I feel bad I feel bad for him in a way, especially if this dude is a pedophile. That's the big yeah. part. It, it, if we were just talking about them killing some people in a house, that's you know that's that gives me way less sympathy. Yeah, if but, he just killed him, he killed two other people. Exactly, exactly, one hundred percent. But that's my point though. M- Miguel didn't kill those two. He didn't kill those two. Venegas killed them. Now, they didn't know that when they were doing the deals and everything, but again, I think if it would have just been Jim Smiley in that house, even if that if if Venegas would have killed him, I think Miguel Martinez would have been like, cool, man, fuck him. Was that who he killed first? No. Jim Smiley was, was killed last. last. And who did who did uh, Miguel stab? Help, help stab? Yeah. Uh, the young man who was on the couch. Oh, okay, then never mind. Then. That doesn't, nah, I'm not believing that. Any of it? Nah. The, the pedophile thing, any of it? Nah. I think if he, I, what makes sense to me if, if that guy was a pedophile, uh huh. So I'm guessing he didn't like the guy. I would assume, uh-huh. but if he wanted to help out, he would stab that guy. He would help stab that guy that 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 molested him when he was a child or at, when he was at the, at the age or whatever when he was young. right, right. That makes more sense if he did that than him just jumping in somewhere in yeah. the in the killings that night. That don't make sense. I, I just I'm not believing that. Okay. All right, that's fair enough. I mean, we can agree to disagree on that. Yeah. It just uh, again, I highly recommend. I am a killer. I believe the episode is called "Sympathy for the Devil." It's either in the first season or the second season. There's only two seasons. 
Um, it's a very interesting case to me. I I'm not saying Miguel should be, you know, ha, should have never ha, should have not gotten anything, but I I'd love to hear people's takes on watching the episode and finding out that this guy's been in prison, has been on death row, what or was on death row until 2002. From 91 to 2002, he was on death row, and then had his sentence commuted in 2002 to just life, and has been eligible for parole since 2002. So he spent. 91 to 2020 in prison. Mm. That's 2001. That's almost 30 years. Yeah, that's how old I was born. 91. Yeah, so that's almost that's almost 30 years. Is that not enough time for what I described his participation in that night being? Yeah, that's more than enough time. That's what I'm saying. But every time he goes to the parole board, they go, no, you know, you're what that, that crime was so gruesome. Uh, that crime was so gruesome. No, but maybe this episode coming out will change those jurors' minds. But maybe not. I don't know. I wanna know if they if they I just think they, it should be into consideration the guys the guy Venegas is saying, Oh, I killed everybody that night. I don't even I don't even know if he stabbed a person last minute. I I was in my bag. I wanna know how many of those trials or whatever they call they have to go through. Like a plea? Or I mean like a uh, an um uh, the parole board. Yeah. I don't know how many, oh, the parole. Oh, yeah, yeah, how many have to go through if they just? Because I want to know if they just throw some of those by the wayside. Like they just go. No. Nah, oh yeah, there's some people. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, Charles Manson. If he was ever eligible for parole, they're like, "How's it going, Charlie? All right, good seeing you. Have a good going back to yourself." Yeah. But that one, I don't know. I don't know how you could see that episode that I'm that I did my affirmative murder for this week. Be on a parole board and not take that into consideration. That the guy Venegas is saying. I killed everybody in that house. I'm the devil. All this kind of, cuz that dude he said out of his mouth. I mean, whenever I'm eligible for parole, I might probably won't even get it, but I can do the whole 41. I'm getting out. Yeah. And that dude's crazy. <laughs> Clearly. Yeah. Like un un unequivocally not up for debate. That dude has some mental issues and he has a 41-year sentence and we're at about 30 now. Yeah. He'll be out in 2030 something. Out, not on parole, not out. He'll have served forty-one years. Can't change it now. Too late. Exactly. But you can change it for Miguel Martinez. That's my feeling. He served thirty years. I feel like his parole should be up for more consideration than it is. Then just nope. Ah, it's too violent. No, you're not. No, you're not going back into society. Thirty years. God 30 years. damn. Thirty years, and the the dude that you were doing coke with that night has been chilling. Scott free you got to sit on that and the dude who you were there with who you know did everything didn't say it at the time and that contributed to you being on death row and he got a date he has a date 41 years there's a date on his calendar like man March 2033 I'm out of here and this dude has life he doesn't even he has none of that so that's a lot to sit on man I don't know I'd be concerned for Milo uh Milo Flores, if 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 Miguel Martinez ever got out, because I'm coming to see you. Why? Cause no, nah, fuck that, man. I had to spend, you know, my life in prison. If I ever get out, we gotta at least have a conversation. Not that he could. What did he know other than like I dropped them off? They're taking too long. I drove. I'm going home. Yeah, that's his view of the night. Like yeah. that shit's taking too long. It was weird. I'm going home. I'm fuck this. Well, I got coke at the house. We can't. Well, not when they come back with bloody. Bloody hammers and whatnot, bloody knives. That part too, when they went, I didn't even. <laughs> you just added fuel to the fire for me. When they went to the dad's house, the axe was there. Yeah. So he kept the axe. 
That means that makes him an accessory. No, that makes him an accessory. Well, he did that because he like, well, these are mine, so I have to. <laughs> I guess I don't know. I feel weird of him not having served any time. Oh yeah, but he he just got lucky, man. He he had his dad in his corner. He got lucky. That's classic. Now the other no, guy now fair. Miguel. Life ain't fair. But Miguel going after Venegas, then that's that's di- that's different. Yeah, no, no, yeah, no. I'm That's coming. Different. But he doesn't want to see Venegas. I tell you like this. Uh, Miguel Martinez seemed like a nice... Even having been in jail all this time, he seemed like a nice guy who's, you know, done some reflecting. And, you know, even though he feels like life dealt him a bad hand, he's dealing with it. They cut to Venegas. He's like, man, that night was wild, bro. He, got a, he always has kind of a grin on his face. And he thinks he's the devil's son. Nah, I'm not coming for him. Mm. I let him live. I let him just. I don't, I don't even want to. I'm not going Freddy versus Jason against fucking Miguel Venegas. A dude that dumped Black Widow spiders all over his chest. Pull up with that thing, man. I don't know, man. You just come with the hammer. No discussion. We're yeah. not even gonna get. I'm not even gonna let you get a chance to have a fair fight. Nah. If I get a chance to get out and we out at the same time, <laughs> nah. I'm shooting you from nah. across the street. Yeah. Nah, man. I spent thirty years in thirty years in prison for you to wait thirty years to go. Yeah, I mean, I did all of it. I don't even know if he did anything. <laughs> what? <laughs> That's crazy. Uh, so uh, that was my affirmative That's murder, wild. the tale of two Miguels. Also, I believe um, it's it's from the show I Am a Killer. I believe the episode is called Sympathy for the Devil. Um, that's all I have to say on the matter. I think any, everyone should go check it out. It's a crazy episode. And the show itself is really good. Sometimes Every episode isn't crazy, but some episodes are very enlightening because you see murder from the side of from different angles mm. like why people kill is the, is there truly a reason to kill somebody and some of the episodes will make you go yeah i mean like i get that man if you felt like you were gonna die if it literally was life or death i had to do what you had to do yeah but now you're sitting in prison so yeah like i said that's my that my affirmative murder and we're gonna go ahead and take a quick break and when we come back it's france turn to tell you some fucked up shit so stick around all right and we are back uh, Fran, it is your turn to go, so I'm going to go ahead and step back and give you the mic. Yeah. So my affirmative murder this week is um, about Colin Ireland. Colin Ireland? Yes. This is oh. another another um, UK story I'm doing this week. Is he <laughs> from Ireland or his last name's Ireland? No, his last name's just Ireland. Oh, okay. Yeah, oh, yeah. Hell of a town. Yeah. <laughs> You've been there, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. Beautiful. <clears throat> Here we go. So Ireland was born in Dadford, Kent to an unmarried teenage couple. Shortly Dadford after his, what? Dadford, Kent. Okay. Yeah. Um, so he was born in Dadford, Kent to an unmarried teenage couple. Mm. Shortly after his birth, his father left him and his 17-year-old mother. Mm. He is not named on his birth certificate, and Ireland did not know his identity. Mm. He was raised in poverty, poverty by his mother. They moved many times. In the early 1960s, mm. she remarried. When she became pregnant... She put Ireland into care. He later returned to her. In 1966, she married another man. Oh, wow. During the 1960s, in Sheerness, Kent, Ireland was propositioned on three occasions and spied on once by men who were sexually attracted to him. Oh. How old is he at this point? Do you know? Hmm. Um, Like a teenager? Let's see. Let's figure this out. He's born in 54. Born in 54. We're talking about the 60s, right? This is 60s, yeah. Jeez, not that old. No. Jeez. No. Um, Yeah, so he was spied on once. <laughs> he was spied on once by men who were sexually attracted to him. Mm. In his mid-teens, he was sent to, to, to Borstal for theft 
and whilst there deliberately set fire to another resident's belongings. Oh, jeez. At age 17, Allen was convicted of robbery. He escaped and was returned to Borstal. Mm. In the attempt to make ends meet, Ireland had a series of manual jobs. Then in December 1975, he was convicted of car theft, criminal damage of two burglaries, for which he was sentenced to 18 months imprisonment. Mm. Ireland was released in November 1976 and moved to Swind- Swindon, Wiltshire. He lived in he lived with a black West Indian woman her, and her children for a few months. Mm. In 1977, he was convicted of extortion, for which he was sentenced to another 18 months in prison. Damn. Yeah. That shit adds up, man. Yeah. Just throwing your life away. And, I mean, when you don't have anything, you got to fucking... You got to get it how you live. Yeah, like, yeah, it's like, it's wild. And he's jumping from place to place to live it's, yeah. at 17 years old. Um, so in 1980, he was convicted of robbery, for which he was sentenced to two months imprisonment. Oh, I'm sorry, to two years imprisonment. Mm. And in 1981, he was convicted of attempted deception. What the hell is that? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> sounds like something a magician does. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. Um, so in 1982, Ireland married Virginia Zamet. The couple and her daughter lived in Holloway area of London. In 1985, he was convicted and sentenced to six months for... For six months for going equipped to cheat. Going what? Equipped to cheat. Cheat what? Like a gambling or? No. He went, he got sentenced six months for going equipped to cheat. Yes. Like on his wife? Yep. No. Yes. No. Yes. That's no. what I That's got to be a typo. That's got to be a typo. <laughs> what do you mean going, he strapped up, he had a condom on? What do you mean know, he was man. going and equipped to cheat? Let me, let me finish. Let me finish. What kind of feminist world is this? You get fucking imprisoned for cheating on your wife? Yeah. Um, so I guess that's yeah, adultery. Six, so you sentenced to six months for going equipped to cheat. He div- um, he divorced in 1987 after his wife discovered he had committed adultery. Adultery is a, a crime some places, yeah. I guess. But going equipped to cheat? I don't know what that means. Like you had some chocolate covered strawberries. Uh, you had some Durexes on you. Maybe. Oh, yeah. So in 1989, in Devon, he married Janet Young. He was violent towards her and stole from her. Oh, jeez. In the early 1990s, they separated. She had her children become... She had... She and her children became homeless. Oh, wow. He moved to Southern, Southern-on-Sea, where he became homeless and lived in a hostel. <clears throat> now, I couldn't even imagine living in one of those, like... A hostel? Yeah. Well, it's not like the movie Hostel. But it's like... It's like it's not like you don't know privacy. Yeah, it's like you got all these bunks everywhere. Like, ain't that how it is? Yeah, but you know, I mean, there's some cool hostels. I'm sure he wasn't staying in a cool hostel. It's very, uh, you know, in and out, open door policy. A lot of different people. There's not very much privacy, and it's a place that allows homeless people to stay there. So, yeah, like it's probably not the dopest hostel. I've been told about some yeah. dope hostels. I would never stay. What, at just one like full of young people? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's probably different. Probably yeah, fun. for sure. Young. Either way, I like my privacy, so I would not. Yeah. Stay, I would not stay at a hostel. But you know, when you're but, traveling abroad, you're backpacking through Europe. A hostel can be a lot of people's best friend. I mean, I don't. I just, I don't. I just don't like people. Yeah. So you know, the stuff I don't people wake do, up, you know, people, people wake up. I don't see you feet, scratching your balls. Yeah. You know, I don't, come on, between your feet yeah. and stuff. Yeah, just, I don't want to see all that. Like, 
I don't want to smell your feet. Nah, yeah, that's what I mean. I will throw just up doing everywhere. Like, smelling somebody I don't know's feet. I don't want to smell somebody I do know's feet, but just smell. You know that feeling where you're like, who's cooking? And yeah. then you realize it's like a person's body? Yeah. Oh, God. Yes. Yeah. Oh. yeah. So he later moved to a flat in the town and lived there while visiting the Cornhurst Pub, the gay pub in Earl's Court, London. Where he met his first victims. Mm, okay, so after years and years of desperation, he turned to being a gay prostitute. Yeah, is that where this is going? Yeah, okay, exactly where this okay. is going. Okay, okay. So Peter Walker, Peter Walker, a forty-five-year-old um, choreographer. Oh wow! Who in school day? Yeah, cool job. yeah, and who indulged in? <clears throat> oh, who? <laughs> yeah, this is a this is a hard one for me. Okay. Uh, who indulged in? Sado Mac, Sado Mas, I'm gonna get it. Let me get it. Let me get it. Sado Mas masochism. There you go. Boom. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That's that's rough. Yeah, he likes some dark shit. You know, yeah. Sado masochism. They like get beat on and whipped and yeah. those kinds of things like that. But a choreographer, that's a cool job. Yeah, man. I mean, yes. He might maybe like choreographs the Sado masochism as well, whereas you know, tell I don't know, tell don't you know. exactly how you he wants it done. Yeah, I don't. That's cool. I haven't thought about how those, you know, connect and what he does. I don't. Yeah, how so. can you not? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it took. So, yeah. So he took Ireland back to his flat uh-huh. in, in Battersea. There he was bound and ultimately suffocated by a plastic bag mm. being placed over his head. See, that's the dark, scary part about that sadomasochism shit is that when you end up in a situation like this, it's erotic. Up until a point where you realize, oh, they're killing me. Yeah. That's got to be scary. Yeah. Because you're enjoying it for a bit. Isn't that like a safe word or something? like? Yeah, but then you say the safe word, you know, Oklahoma. And then they don't do what, stop. Now, what this is, which is crazy, now I think about it, that this was his first victim. Yeah. Who indulged in that stuff. Uh Uh-huh. And it was like he, it was like that's what he used. Oh, he did the same technique. Not technique or just something in that category of like something crazy like that. He just Got started it. doing it with his other victims. I didn't even think about that that to just now. Yeah, it became like his signature. Yeah. yeah. Um it kinda sounds like a Andrew Cunanan. Yeah. He also did some weird shit too, like after I'll I'll get into it. Okay. Now. So yeah, he suffocated so he was suffocated by a plastic bag being placed over his head. So Ireland placed two teddy bears in a sixty nine position on the body. Oh. He left Walker's dog locked in another room. The day after the murder, after the murder, having heard no news reports of the crime, he called the the Samaritans and a journalist from the Sun newspaper, advising them of the dogs and that he had murdered their owner. Wow. He told them he wanted to become famous for being a serial killer. Okay. Yeah. Okay, then I thought this was more of like a um a, like I'm going to kill them and rob them. He lo- sounds like he lost his mind. Yeah, it was that too. Oh, okay. Yeah. But he wanted the recognition as well. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So Christopher Dunn. Dunn was 37-year-old librarian who lived in Welt- in Wheelstone. He was found naked in a harness. His death was initially believed to be an accident that occurred during an erotic game. Mm. In addition, because he lived in a different area from Walker, a different set of investigators worked on the case. For these reasons, the death was not initially linked to Walker. Wow. To Walkers. And this dude, if this dude wasn't, like, I mean, obviously he already is deranged, but if he was a deranged killer who wanted to do this, 
he'd be happy about these things. Like, they aren't connecting them. They aren't finding me. They didn't know that I killed that dude and the dog was there. Yeah. But he probably is going to call the police again and be like, these two things are connected. Yeah. Because he wants the attention. He's upset. Yeah, he's Probably wants the attention that his mother never gave him. Yeah, possibly. And his dad left. Mm. Yeah, that too. So Perry Bradley III. So Ireland met a 35-year-old businessman named Perry Bradley III at Colhern Pub. Bradley lived in Kensington and was the son of Texas Democratic Party fundraiser Perry Bradley Jr. The two men returned to Bradley's flat where Ireland suggested that he tie Bradley up. Again, now he's he's conducting this. Yeah. Um, suggested that he tie Bradley up, and Bradley expressed his displeasure in the idea. Mm. In order to get Bradley to comply, Ireland told him that he was unable to perform sexually without elements of bondage. I'm like, well, then I guess we'll have to call this a night, then. <laughs> you ain't tying me up. Yeah. I mean, I guess having a nice night and then that. You just can't, yeah, you don't, 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 yeah, don't want to like, yeah, yeah, let that end the night. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I, if I'm not into something, I'm not going to be like, well, okay, if it, you know, you can you burn me with candle wax. Yeah. If that's how you get off. It's like, no, I don't like that. Yeah. So I don't want to do that. And that's where it would end for me. But, yep. you know, if you're having a good night, you're having a good night. So Bradley hesitantly cooperated and was soon trust up on his idea, on his, oh, I'm sorry, was soon trust up on his own bed, face down with a mm. noose around his neck. Oh, jeez. After Ireland has secured Bradley... He demanded money. I mean, so after he was like, got him. Yeah. And then it's pretty, <laughs> it's like, I'll need you to, was to comply and That's then all agree. And then that was it. I fucking knew it. Yep. I knew I shouldn't have let him tie yep. me up like this. Because you, 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 you like pushed back on it. And against your better judgment, you didn't listen to that little voice in your head. And then that moment of being like, I fucking knew. I can't even imagine being like that and then being like so vulnerable, like. Like, just... It's too late now, even if you did know. Yep. It's like, fuck. Yeah. So he de- he demanded money and a pen under the threat of torture. <clears throat> of torture. So Ireland assured Bradley that he would merely he was merely a theft and would leave after stealing Bradley's money. After Bradley gave after Bradley gave Ireland his pen, which Ireland later used to steal two hundred pounds, mm. along with a hundred pounds in his in, in cash stolen from Bradley's flat. Ireland told him that he should go to sleep as he wouldn't be leaving his flat for hours, which. So he didn't kill him? So Brad, I'm about to get to it. So Bradley eventually did fall asleep and Ireland uh, momentarily thought of leaving Bradley unharmed. Ireland then realized that Bradley could identify him and used and used and used the noose, which he had early attached around Bradley's neck to strangle him. So before leaving Bradley's flat, he placed a doll on top of the dead body on on top of the dead man's body. Is he bringing these dolls, or do these people have dolls? And like this? I don't know. I don't know. Is this calling card. Yeah. Yeah. He wasn't gonna let him live. He's sky was. See, that's what Joe does on you sometimes, where he's like, "No, I can. I'm gonna let you go. I'm a good person." But then he's not a good person. He's crazy, and we should all hate him. And yet everybody's super excited for season three of you. Yeah. He's not a good person. Yeah. This guy is not a good person. I never said he was a good person. What are you talking about? I don't know. I just, I'm still conflicted about you. Sorry. About what? You. The show you. I just, I don't know. Oh, the show. Oh, I was like, what? What did I do? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> what? What the fuck is you talking about? I just don't like that I like it. Yeah, man. I can't wait. Um, Yeah, so Andrew Collier, Ireland angered, 
Ireland, Ireland angered that he had received no publicity mm-hmm. even after three murders. Killed again, he killed again within three days. He met and courted 33-year-old Andrew, a housing warden, and the pair went to Andrew's home in, in Dalston. After entering the flat, there was a disturbance outside and both men went to the window to investigate. Ireland gripped a horizontal metal bar that ran across the window. He later forgot to wipe the bar for fingerprints during his usual cleanup phase. Mm. And the police found these prints. Mm. That one slip up. So once he had once he had tied up his victim on the bed, Ireland again demanded his, his victim's bank details. This time, his victim refused to comply. Mm. After killing Andrew's cat, mm, this shit is, this shit get super weird. Like, shit I never heard of. Gross. I mean, super gross. Like, don't fuck with cats shit. Yeah, like that shit. Um, so this time, I mean, if you don't want, if you like cats, I I wouldn't yeah, skip uh, like uh, uh, 10, 15 seconds. Warning. Yeah. So this time, his victim refused to comply. After killing Andrew's cat, Ireland strangled Andrew's Ireland strangled Andrew with a noose. You ready? Okay, huh? He put a condom on Andrew's penis and placed the dead cat's mouth over it. Wow. So like so he killed Andrew. Yeah. So he made it look like this dude was fucking his cat. I don't know. Died. I don't know what he was trying to Stage it to be, I don't know. That is nuts. Yeah, I have no idea. Yeah, so... That would be crazy to be the detective that walked in on that. Yeah. Wait, what the fuck happened here? Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. That's so he, dark. Yeah, so he did that, and he placed the cat's tail into Andrew's mouth. As How in, big was this cat? As I don't know, as in what he did with his first... 69, but it did with a person and a cat. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, man. That's dark. Yep. <laughs> that dude either had a huge dick or that cat was massive. Like, yeah, man. I mean, the space from your dick to your torso. I don't know. It's like no two feet. That's a big cat. Yeah. You have a long tail. Yeah. Yeah, true. That's yeah. dark. Yeah. Um, Super gross. I don't even know. Yeah. How do you, how did your brain even think to do that? Yeah. Oh, jeez. So Ireland was angered. Ireland was angered to discover at discovering Andrew was HIV positive while rummaging through his personal um, effects looking for bank details. Does he have sex with all these guys? I don't know. It doesn't say. I don't know. Okay. Yeah. So he then phoned the police asking why he had not linked the four murders. He left the next morning with 70 pounds. A suspected reason for his killing of the cat was that after Ireland killed Walker and had left the previous victim's dog locked in a, locked in a separate room, he later called anonymously to advise parties that the fact to the fact that these dogs were being or had been locked up. Mm-hmm. So he just wanted to eliminate that guilt on his brain of there being some animals alive yeah. in the house. Yeah. So as a result, the media called the killer an animal lover. He strangled the cat to demonstrate that the animal lover assumption had been wrong. He didn't like that. Oh, he. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So okay, that's what he did. That, he, he, wanted that end, he, first, wanted to, he wanted to. He wanted to. He wanted to end that that uh, yeah. spin on. I don't. Him. I want y'all to. I want to get famous for this, but I don't want that nickname. I'm not. Yeah. I'm not. I don't like animals. <laughs> yeah. He didn't like that at all. Jesus. Um, 
Yeah, so the animal love assumption had been wrong. But see, that's that moment when you know he's keeping tabs on the investigation. Yeah. So then that can be used to your advantage. Yeah. So Emmanuel Spitari. So Ireland's fifth victim was a Maltese chef named Emmanuel, age 41, whom he had met at the Colinhurn pub. So that was his his spot. That was his place, yeah. So Emmanuel was was persuaded to be cuffed and bound on his bed once more. Ireland demanded his pen, but did not obtain it. He again used a noose to kill. After carrying out his post his post murder ritual of cleaning and clearing the scene, Ireland set fire to the flat and left. Jeez. He rang the police. He rang the police later to tell them to look for a body at the scene of the fire and added that he was probably not he was probably not killed. What? He would probably not kill again. That's what he told the police. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So there are suggestions that homophobia on the part of the police delayed uh, on the part of the police delayed the linking of the murders and that they were initially not handled well. But police eventually I can believe that. Yeah. So police eventually connected all five killings The crime. The crimes were publicized by the mass media in which he wanted and quickly became known in the gay community that a serial killer was specifically targeting gay men. Yeah. So investigations revealed that Emmanuel had left the Calhoun pub and traveled home with his killer by train. And a security a security video successfully captured the two the two of them on the railway platform at Sharing Cross Station. So Ireland recognized himself and decided to tell police he was the man with Emmanuel, but not the killer. So he must have him keeping up with everything. He saw yeah. the video. So he claimed to have left Emmanuel in the flat with another man. However, police also found fingerprints at a Callier's flat, which they linked to Ireland. Mm. So, he tried to eliminate himself, but they knew he was there. Yeah. And he's such a narcissist, he definitely thought that was like a genius lie. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I was with him, but you know. I wasn't, I'm not the killer. Yeah. So, Ireland was charged with the murders of Callier and Emmanuel and confessed to the other three while awaiting trial in prison. Mm. He told police that he had no vendetta against gay men, but picked on them because they were the easiest targets. Ireland pretended to be gay in order to, to lure his victims. He had, robbed those, he had robbed those he killed because he was unemployed at the time mm-hmm. and he needed funds to travel to and from London when hunting for victims. Mm. When his case came to... The Old Bailey on December 20th, 1993, Ireland admitted to all charges and was given life sentence to, for each. Mm. The judge, Mr. Justice Satch, um, said he was ex- exceptionally frightened and dangerous, adding to take one life is an outrage, to take five is a carnage. Mm. On December 22nd, 2006, Ireland was, on, was one of the 35 life prisoners who was named whose names appeared on the home office list of prisoners who had been issued the whole life tariff with which we I talked about last my last murder which is just a list of people no, that get, you can't get on parole you can't you can't yeah. get on parole you're in there for life yeah and who were unlikely ever to be released mm. so Ireland's crimes received sensationalist coverage on the tabloid press again which he wanted yeah. as well as the nickname the gay slayer he was identified as Jack the Gripper by the news of the world that's not funny yeah, that's, that's fucked up. I think that's like a play on something. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Jack I mean, the but Ripper. he wasn't gay. He was saying he wasn't. Nothing had to do with homophobia. Him, they was just easy targets to him. Yeah, it sounds a lot. Except that dude was 
actually gay and was killing people that he was having sex with. But that that's, there was like a serial killer a couple years ago in Canada. And they found like body parts in his flower pots, and he was targeting gay people like in the gay district of this part of Toronto or something like that. That was pretty nuts. Mm. It's, it has a lot of parallels to that that yeah. story. That was crazy. Just just fucking just the edge and edge and edge of desperation until finally. He was like, I guess I'll be doing this now. Yeah. Jesus. That's super. So, I mean, he was really just doing this for money, and he was also sick, but. Yeah, and he was doing some super dark shit. I'm not letting him off the hook. Rest in peace to those people. He didn't just, again, not that it's better if he shot somebody and robbed him in an alley, but what he did was psychological. I mean, he but he was saying that he was doing this for money, for funds, for him trying to make full, but that's what, that wasn't the main reason for doing that. Yeah, you were doing some, you had some, some dark shit on your mind. Yeah. Jeez. So yeah, so Ireland he died on February twenty first, uh, two thousand twelve, at Wakefield Prison. A spokeswoman at Her Majesty's Prison Service said he was, he is presumed to have died from natural causes. A post mortem will follow. Later, his death was ascribed to be pulmonary fibrosis, and a fractured hip. He oh. had suffered early in the months of a um, was the main cause of death. Oh jeez, how do you? Fractured hip, I don't know. Might have, somebody might have fucked him up. Or he fell down some steps. I would mean, he was born in what, the 40s, you said? The 50s? He's, no. Like the 50s, yeah. I mean, that's not, I mean, that's not like ancient old in 2012, but I mean, he's not a young man. Yeah. If he was 17 in the 1960s. Down from a broken hip, though? Well, uh, 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 as well as the other things. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. I don't. I just wouldn't put that. I mean, it said something about pulmonary, something like this. So I assume he fell, hurt his brain, and the combination of the pain from the the fractured hip and whatever damage he did to his brain led to his death. I thought that was like breathing or something. Pulmonary? Yeah. Fibrosis. Well, I only know fibrosis. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. I know pul- a pulmonary embolism is a brain. Oh, like a brain hemorrhage. I just want to see if that if that has something with you breathing or like anybody out there. Let us know. Um, I don't know what pulmonary fibrosis is. I don't feel like looking it up right now. So if you're if you're hearing this, share a link. I don't yeah. know pulmonary fibrosis. I guess something something breathing. I don't know. Yeah, disrupted breathing, something like that. Yeah, I don't know. Well, he died. So yeah. So I, I mean, know, you know, good. But yeah, um, <laughs> yeah that's um, my friend murder this week of Colin Ireland, who was very oh. sick. Nickname was the Gay Slayer and Jack the Gripper. Jack the Gripper. Yeah. All right, well, let's go ahead and I don't really have any questions there. That's pretty straightforward. Dark shit, man. Yeah, Jesus. Man. I mean, I have some questions about how big that cat was, but you don't have those answers for me. No, I don't. Okay. No. <laughs> I don't have those details. Sorry. All right, well, then if you can't answer that question, I guess we'll go ahead and jump into the good vibes. Good, 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 That's right, folks. Welcome to another Good Vibes segment. We're here to give you that soup for your soul. Uh, Fran, uh, you uh, got your Good Vibes fired up, or would you like me to go first? Um, I'll go first. Okay. Please. So in a win-win for the public, these New York prisoners proudly earned their college degrees while they were still behind bars. Okay. They were part of the latest graduating class consisting of inmates who've gotten their diplomas for free through Hudson. Wait. Through, I'm sorry. Free through Hudson Link, a nonprofit degree granting program dedicated to providing prisoners with a college education so they are less likely to reoffend upon release. Mm, that's big. Which I think is dope. Yeah, for sure. 
So according to Hudson Link, the general rate of recidivism in the state in in the state is forty three percent, which is crazy. Yeah. Um, I mean, well, if you go to prison, there aren't many options when you get back out of prison. Yeah, you know, yeah, like, yeah. It's, it's just gonna happen. But for it to be that high, I mean, like. Yeah, that's I mean, wild. that's almost half of anybody who yeah. goes to prison will reoffend and end up back in prison. So while the prisoners who walk out with degrees only have a 2% chance of being reincarcerated. Which is, I think that's that's a wild drop-off. Yeah, for sure. Which is, is pretty cool. So the organization argues that... So in it, what state is this? Um, or what city? Or? New York. This is New York. Oh, and so in New York. Yeah. Okay, wow. So the organization argues that it costs a whopping... Excuse me. It costs a whopping sixty thousand per year to jail an individual in New York State. Mm-hmm. Didn't know that. That sounds light, honestly. That's light. Yeah, I mean, I've, I feel like I've heard the numbers as high as like a hundred thousand. Wow, that's close. That's forty thousand. <laughs> that's the difference between like a p- peanut butter and jelly sandwich and just a peanut butter sandwich. You know, for everybody. You know, those above. those kind of above. Give it a chef. Um. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, but only five thousand to provide them with a prison education. So Hudson Link is capable of offering the the degree program for free, thanks to the private donations and sponsorship sponsorship sponsorships. Which I want to know what those um Ooh, private Lord. donations are and sponsorships. Yeah, I don't know. I really want to know what those are. Follow the money. Um, the organization is currently currently operates out of five different New York prisons, including the Sing Sing, Sing Correctional Facility mm-hmm. in Oh, what is it? Os- Osining? Oh, I don't know. Okay. Well, I know Sing Sing Prison. I don't know where in New York. Okay. It, or is it in New York? I yes, know. I would think so. New York prisons, including Sing Sing Correctional Facility, mm. where this emotional graduation ceremony belong, below took place last month. Was They gave him a ceremony, which is, I think is cool, too. That is cool. To date, Hudson Link has awarded 700 degrees to inmates. Wow. 700. An additional 600 students in in state prison are currently enrolled in the program. I want to know what different um, programs they have as like far as... Like what major you, know. you can yeah. take and all this yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah, I don't know. That is, um, that's really cool. I think that giving them also a, a graduation ceremony is really cool too because the symbolism of that is the same thing as uh, when you did... The story, I feel like I always go back to it because it always comes back around kind of in the same way of like symbolism. But you do the story of that non-for-profit that decorates people who get into alternative housing. Like yeah. if you are get a house through government housing, they'll put the furniture in the house and just make it feel like a home. And that yeah. symbol of that motivates you to want to upgrade your life more. Like, yeah. you say, oh, let me go get a job. And this is my, I have a home. Let me, yeah. let me continue to make my home. I feel like the symbolism of, you're graduating and here's a ceremony for your family can come yeah. and see you and all this kind of so maybe when you get out you now I think that that should be followed by more action like depending on what you are being in prison for you shouldn't have to divulge that information once you're back out on the street because that is another cause of people not being able to get jobs once they're back out of prison now if you robbed a bank and you try to get a job at a bank I mean that information should be revealed to the employer that you're applying to but if you you know Whatever you an assault charge, whatever, and you're trying to become a, work at Pizza John's or you know Domino's or you know McDonald's, you shouldn't have to tell somebody that you were in prison. Yeah. You you served your sentence. You're yeah. you're done. Yeah. So that should follow that. But I think that's cool too. Because I mean, because you're still like essentially with that still de- being yeah, punished with that degree. The jobs that you are, unless you're trying to open up your own business, but if you're trying to if you're trying to work for a company that requires a degree and you have to divulge the information that you were in prison, 
you fall to the bottom of the pile. Yeah. Or they just still, throw your shit away. You still seem like you're getting punished after Absolutely. you served your time of punishment. Absolutely. But I think um, it's dope that, you know, you're educating people. Yeah. So the organization was found was founded by Sean is either Pica or Pisa Pisa, who served his own prison sentence back in nineteen ninety eight. Mm. Upon release, after completing a reduced sentence of sixteen years, Sean began his um trailblazing work with the hopes of offering other inmates a second chance beyond prison walls. That's beautiful. Which is like so he knows. He knows, and it's a sign of selflessness. Yeah. Him thinking of, like, the people that's going to be after him that's going to go through the same exact thing and know how hard it is, He the things he's going to have to go through when they get out as far as getting a job and trying to make a living. And Absolutely. Et cetera. Yeah. Um, yeah, so he says that Sean began his trailblazing work with the hopes of offering other inmates a second chance beyond prison walls. I thank a lot of our prisoners, our prisons in this country we're built on an effort of punishment. But when you punish somebody, there's got to be something about rehabilitation yep. and second chances. Absolutely. And that's what we are doing um, in these prisons. Absolutely. Now, I want to know, what I do want to know is what is the criteria of you getting into this program as far as sentence length? Because um, mm. I don't understand. I don't, it wouldn't make sense for somebody I mean, I guess you can do it for yourself. You, yeah, if you're educating yourself yeah. for the purpose of educating yourself, I understand. Yeah. I, don't, I don't feel yeah. like I don't feel like you getting this degree necessarily has to lead to you getting out and getting a job in that field. If it's not, you know, some, it could just be the purpose of educating yourself. Now, I don't know. I'm just speculating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But also in that same sense, like you know, you don't need a degree to. Do you need a de- You need to pass the bar, but I think you need to have a law degree as well. Like, let's say you you get a law degree and you get out and pass the bar when you get out and you become a lawyer who works for the criminal justice system and trying to, you know, reverse decisions. I think there's a show on ABC that just came out that's like that, you know. You providing somebody an opportunity to uh, educate themselves and change their lives for the positive, no matter what they do, educating yourself can never be a negative. Yeah, I just want to know what... It has to be some type of criteria. I would imagine because, like, if it's a program, I would imagine like you have to keep a GPA. Like, if if you're failing all the classes, then you can get dropped out of the program. Well, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about as far as like I said, sentence sentence length or Or violence or violence. What what? Why are you in there? You know what? You I don't I don't think they want a whole you know class of just crazy motherfuckers. Could be, could be, yeah. So I just I do want. I'm sure there's some kind of I would like to know details. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do want no details, but I think that's still pretty cool. Somebody gives people another second chance, definitely, when they get out, so they can get a damn job. Is I couldn't even imagine you suffering like that. Like, what the I've, fuck yeah, am I supposed to do? For sure. I've rattled around some ideas that I feel like sound like, I don't know, fascism or something, but, or, you know, authoritarianism. But I feel like if I was in prison and you, you know, you gave me a mental screening and all this kind of stuff and you told me, you can, you can enlist in the military mm-hmm. and we'll reduce your sentence and you'll have a career or you can just stay in here. I agree with that. You know what I mean? Like, you got all these bodies in there. Those dudes yeah. work out all day. All they yeah. do is work out in there. Give them mental screening. If they're capable of, of if they don't seem like they're insane and they're just in there for whatever reason, give them an opportunity to earn their freedom, get a job. You, you got a bunch of bodies in prison that can be put to work. Yeah. As opposed to if you go to prison, you're not allowed to be in the military. I feel like that should be, you should welcome that. Like, somebody yeah. get out and they say, oh, I don't have any other path to this military join the, join the military you have to do a mental screening or whatever to make sure you're able to do this and if they pass it that's a body yeah but i feel like if you if i'm if i'm, for, if I'm, if I'm serving 
eight years in prison and they come to me, yeah, man, you got that assault, you know, or armed robbery charge or whatever, you can, if you join up and serve in the Army, if you if you sign a four-year contract with the Army, once you're done your four-year contract, you're out. Yeah. Prison and everything. And you can do, sign another contract and you have a job, or you can just go out and be free. Yeah. I think that's something to think about. Yeah. I'm not saying force people, like, if you're in jail right now, you're you're in the Army. Yeah. I mean, but it should, maybe give them an option, you know? But I think if you have a criminal record, you're not allowed to join, which I think is crazy. That's wild. That's a bunch of bodies that are just that's wild. That can be used. That's a career that they could have. But I feel like also you bringing up that point. I feel like people in prison, they could be used. Like I said, they can be used for something useful, as yeah. far as helping the country out some some type of way, or them just sitting there and like essentially just rotting away, just yeah. doing and nothing. When they get out, like, they're shunned by society. That's, you just got a bunch yeah, of people who exist yeah. but can't do anything, but commit more crime. That. Yeah, that's that's all they have. Yeah, or the or the rare person who gets out and starts a program like this and like uses, but is still involved in the criminal justice system. Like mm-hmm. you have to still stay in that world. Like I opened a, I got out of prison and I started a program where I cut other felons' hair. You have to stay in the facility of that. Yeah, you know, it's not. I don't know too many stories of guys that are like. I did 20 years in prison and then I got out and now I'm the CEO of a Fortune 500 company. It's never that. It's like I started a non-for-profit where we give clothes to people who just got out. Yeah. It's always like you still have to stay in that realm. If you if you become a super success story. Yeah. Where you're in magazines, it's always like he turned his negative into a positive and he he now helps other people who got out of jail yeah. or she does help other women who got out of prison and don't have access to uh, feminine products. Yeah. You know, why can't they get out of prison and go on and just do something that they can disassociate themselves from that super dark time in their life? What if they don't ever want to think about having been in prison again? I don't think that's an option for many people. Yeah. That's just a thought. Anyway, my good vibe story. And uh, shout out to anybody who's listening who is working on a campaign. I know we have a couple of listeners who might, you know, be campaigning, knocking door to door for people. Get this message to whoever you Bernie, Elizabeth Warren, whoever, whoever you are, you know, campaigning for currently. I think this is a super dope idea. And I think this would change the idea of saving the environment for America immensely. Right. So Brazilian Brazilians are getting juicy tax breaks when they adopt animals, plant trees or hail historic roots. Right. So a slew of Brazilian cities are passing laws that offer tax deductions or exemptions for citizens who want to pitch in to restore the health and beauty of their communities. Hmm. Whether by increasing tourism, restoring historic city centers, or boosting beautification by planting trees and maintaining their lawns, there are several ways residents of Guanya, Belo Horizonte, Quinta del Sol, or Sab... Sabara can or Sabara can reduce their Brazilian property tax by anywhere between thirty to a hundred percent. It's like that's cool. It's like you have to if you want people to You gotta incentivize people. Yeah. Even if you're you telling them the some planet's type, dying. Yeah, some type of incentive. What do I get out of it? Yeah, exactly. Because yeah. the crazy thing is dead serious and you I'm not even this I don't even think this will shock people. There are people actively like, Oh, the planet will not be able to get fixed in how long? Like a hundred years? That's I won't the be that's here. the Exactly. It's yeah. like, well, I won't be alive for that, so why should I stop driving my truck? Yeah. But if you tell them, hey, man, if you get a Tesla, you get five grand back a year. Yeah. You know, or something, I mean, something like that. Yeah. You know? I'm trying to get me a Tesla. I just want a Tesla because it's dope. Yeah. You know, I think it, that in of itself, of innovating something that's helping, yeah. making it dope, because a Prius is ugly as fuck. Yeah. 
You know, I, I'm sure it's, it's whack. It's exactly. Yeah. It's 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 it's. it's it's the vegetables of cars. Yeah. It's like, you know, are vegetables good for you? Sure. But vegetables are whack. Yeah. Boring. And yeah. So, um, but yeah, so they're now incentivizing people in Brazil to like take take care of your neighborhood and cut your grass and plant trees and all these kind of things. Adopt animals. Yeah. And it's a good thing to be doing, but sometimes people need, what is what is my benefit that I'm yeah. getting out of it? And that yeah. helps sometimes, you know? So I think this is a fabulous idea. Shopkeepers and Guanya can receive a two-year exemption from the uh, the property tax if they help restore the original Art Deco style of the city's historic center by remaking their facades and storefronts to conform to the original original 1950s Parisian-inspired character. So basically, let's say you have a storefront and there's one store, like for Baltimore, Baltimore, for instance, has a very specific architecture style. It's very, like you'll see it in Philly, you'll see it in... Some in DC, it's very like you know, um, row homes and 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 step and you know the the little porches and the steps out front. Yeah. If everybody, if you pay to make your house look nice, the front of your house, so that every house on the block kind of has a uniform niceness to it, mm-hmm. you get a you get a tax break. You know, if you pay to fix that, you know, we have those like those roofs before the roofs, mm-hmm. and sometimes you drive around Baltimore City. It's very regional, but whatever. You drive around Baltimore City, and you'll see people who have the porches with the roofs, but it's like the roof before the roof. Yeah. Like, you get on this little roof to get onto the top roof. Yeah. If But some of those are all fucked up. Yeah. If you if you were in Brazil, and you pay to make yours look nice and fix it, and every, everybody who does that on the street gets a tax break, now the whole street looks nice. Now you've, you've changed the neighborhood. Yeah. And the neighborhood looks presentable, and people want to walk down it and stuff yeah. like that. So... It's just, it's crazy that you have to incentivize incentivize yeah. human beings like this. But it, I think it would work. Boosts value too. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. yes. People want to move into the neighborhood now, yeah. you know, and it's done by the people who live there, yep. as opposed to leaning on the government for help. If you do it, our help is you will get a deduction in your taxes that you can write off, and now you don't have to pay taxes, and that saves you money in the long run, so, yep. in some way. So, anyway, I continue. For anyone who's traveled to South or Central America, the sight of a stray dog is nothing unusual. The city of Quinta, dos, Quinta de Sol, the rescue program for abandoning dogs, is a measure to encourage citizens to adopt stray dogs in exchange for a tax break. Dog lovers can get 50% off their tax bill for big dogs, 40% for medium dogs, and 30% for miniatures. So if you just go out and get a little chihuahua, you get some kind of tax break. And maybe you just love the dog. But you yeah. also it's a there's a there's a benefit to it. Yeah. It's, that's I think that's dope because I think in America a lot of people get caught up in I want a Labradoodle or I want a Husky or I want uh you know a German Shepherd and so they go to a, a breeder which that's absolutely you're right but if you found out that I can go to a shelter and find a dog that's not exactly what I in my mind wanted but I find an awesome dog at a shelter and I get a tax break for it more people would be incentivized to go to a shelter and adopt a dog that needs a home yeah uh known for its Ooh, oh, this is very Brazilian. Known for its habuticaba trees, Sabara is offering anyone looking to save mo- save some money on their taxes a five percent deduction for every habuticaba tree habuticaba tree they plant in their front or back gardens. So now you can get a. a What's so special about that tree? Is it just a, it's just like the tree of or? it's just the tree of Brazil. Brazil, okay. So they want to keep it alive. They want more of them what growing. Got, like, big. Thick ass leaves or something like yeah, that. Yeah, it, like it, it looks like it grows uh, blackberries or something oh, okay. on it. Yeah, I don't, but it's but it's like their sense. it's like their national tree. It'd be like mm-hmm. if we got a tax deduction for p- growing sunflowers in our yard, yeah. you know. So uh, 
I just think that's dope. Even a 5% tax break for cutting, uh, for planting a tree. Yeah. You know, it, it, it motivates you. It's money motivates people. Yeah. Money is always the motive. So uh, in the cities of Belo Horizonte and Minas uh, Gerais, I'm having a rough time with this. Sorry for anybody who's in Brazil listening. Like, what are you doing? Yeah. Uh, yeah, a homeowner can get a tax exemption if they maintain a wild garden on their property. Described in the law as a private, a, a private ecological reserve, the the specifics of the legislation reads that the reserve of anyone seeking an exemption must contain primitive or semi-primitive natural conditions that aid in the preservation of the biological cycle of the species of fauna or flora native to Brazil. So basically, if you just let your your yard go wild and, you know, kind of become its own, you know, there's mosquitoes and, and you know, you know, indigenous flowers growing and just let it let it be. You aren't cutting it mm. that you can get a tax break for that. Mm. Now, your yard will look wild. But you'll get a tax break for it. And if you have a big, Why, massive yard. Yeah, because, okay. you know, if you, let's say you cut all the natural shit that's growing in your backyard and you only plant rose bushes. Yeah. But if rose bushes aren't indigenous, indigenous to Baltimore, there could be stuff that's growing there that might be dying in other parts of Baltimore. And you're keep, you're helping keep it alive in your backyard. Gotcha. So it's a tax break for that purpose. It's like there's stuff in Brazil that is, is not growing everywhere because there's people moving places. We're cutting things down. But if you keep a section of... Just let it grow and grow whatever grows naturally from the ground of Brazil. You get a tax exemption. You know, is it how is it, is it helping the environment? Yeah, it's help. It's helping the environment more specifically. It's helping Brazil specifically because you know it, it's 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 keeping their natural, uh, you know, uh, horticulture and, okay. and, and and things like that alive. For us, it'd be like weeds. Yeah, it would just be it would just be weeds. Yeah. Maybe some maybe some um like dandelions and sunflowers yeah. and things like that. Mostly but weeds. Yeah, well, I mean, weeds are alive too, man. Yeah, but they're ugly though. They are like <laughs> spiky and eat up all. They eat up other yeah, plants. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, okay, we don't have to look. Go on your other podcast, sorry. weed, weeds, weeds, and you can talk about how you hate weeds. That's 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 not for that's not the platform for this. Okay, sorry. save your weeds hate for your other podcast. <laughs> uh, as a way to ease the burden for those who have served, Fortazella is offering exemptions for World War II veterans. There can't be many of them left around. The city, the city of Akros is following suit for citizens with debilitating or chronic diseases like certain cancers, Alzheimer's, and MS. Uh, uh, Akros has issued 20 tax exemptions since 2017 for people with this cataloged chronic disease. So that's that's a that's that's out there. That's a little more different. That's that's very progressive. Yeah. Like if you're sick, you get a tax exemption which i think is cool i think uh, the most sad stories to me are people who have like terminal Ill- illnesses or or very who need rest mm-hmm. along with whatever like treatment they need rest is a part of it and they're too sick to not work yeah like i have to work in order to pay to get healthy i know i know too many stories like that yeah that's fucked up of people working that work next to me that like I'm, i have cancer but in order for me to keep my insurance and pay for my chemotherapy i need to work you know, can't heal that way. It's harder to heal. It's absolutely, it's nearly impossible to heal if you have to work, especially if you work I, where I work. Is you're dirt, you get dirty. Yeah. You're not working in a sanitizer. You, you yeah. have cancer. You have to be in a sanitized environment. Yeah. Man. Sun beaming on you and out there in cold it's, weather, it's all the, elements. It's, it's the sad story of a lot of people, man. That's, but that's I, this is good vibes, so we're gonna keep it. High. We're gonna keep it up high. Uh, with a score from the World Bank of one point six eight out of seven, the ranking of the rank 
uh, ranking the burden of government regulations, with one being the most burdensome, any break from the tax man will likely be a welcome relief for the citizens of Brazil. So they're at a 1.68 out of 7, so the tax man is on their ass. Yeah. It's kind of like Baltimore. I mean, we get taxed for water, the toll, yep. everything. Toll uh, is mine. <laughs> you know, I, I found this out. It, it pissed me off. It's like nothing you can do. The, the toll booth, the tolls, mm-hmm. they were built and they were supposed to be paid for by the tolls. And then once they were paid for, it was supposed to stop. Hmm. So whenever the tolls got built, let's say they got built in 1975, whenever they reached like, oh, we it paid for itself. Yeah. It was supposed to stop. But now it's just, that's just what they do now. They're making bank. Oh yeah. Toll, yeah. And that's probably the story of like every toll booth uh, across the country and across yeah. the world. Like mm-hmm. it, we built it and then you're supposed to, it's supposed to pay for itself. But now we just do it now. It's just yeah. part of how we get money. Wow. Yeah. Um, so, uh, and with more trees, primitive reserves, happy dogs, and Art Deco restaurants to show for it, visitors of the South American country will likely be just as happy. So the, the residents are happy, visitors are happy, everything's beautiful. Brazil has in, uh, is implementing some really progressive uh, policies that are incentivizing caring about your your uh, your city and your state and your neighborhood and yeah. the world. And mm-hmm. I think that's super dope. And I think that we should see we should see those kind of things emulated in other. Uh, policies in other countries, specifically the United States. Yeah. If if I could get a tax break for painting the side of my house or what or something like that, I, I, absolutely. Why wouldn't I do it? Yeah, you know. So that was my yeah. So that was my good vibe story. Um, that was dope, man. Yeah, and I just I just I think that was like sometimes you hear policies that or something that's happening in the world, and you're like, we should fucking do that here, yeah. man. That sounds amazing. At least at least I feel like now. I don't know about before, but now I feel like we are hearing people being more progressive of trying to save the planet. Absolutely. For sure. So, yeah, I think it's no. cool. And I'm all for that. I'm all for that. And I'm going to give me a Tesla because I'm, I'm on that board. So My man. Yeah. Can I ride it? Can you ride it? Yeah, sure. Okay, cool. Thanks. I, didn't, I, didn't, I thought you might be rude about it. Nah, man. All right. Anyway, uh, this has been another episode of Affirmative Murder. Fran, um, are, you, are you prepared to take on the journey and give the people what they want? Is more, more Fran on film? Yeah. Sure. I, I mean, I think people have gone are going crazy for it. I think I'm I'm picturing them people sending us movies that they think you haven't seen, which they don't even know how immense that is. Yeah. I mean, have you seen Kill Bill? I've seen Kill Bill. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, that was a bad example, but there's plenty of movies out there that you haven't seen. So the 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 yeah. fountain the fountain is endless. Yeah. So I'm ready to go on this journey with you, man. You've really reinvigorated my passion for podcasting because that was genuinely objectively me stepping out of it not knowing you some of the funniest content we've ever produced on this yeah not just me laughing like this is funny like as a person just as an objective listener not laughing at my friend fran being funny like this is funny like this is just weird and what is happening and funny and and it's it's reinvigorated my love for podcasting yeah man this is how it works i click it and let it go man i just well, don't change a thing about it. So when, we, when Fran on film comes officially, I want it raw and direct, and I don't want you to think about it too much. I just want you to let it fly. Yeah, man. I actually told Steph, she didn't listen to it, I actually told Steph about the idea I had for, uh, what was it, Little Women's? Little Women. And she was like, you thought of all that? I was like, <laughs> I don't even know. You don't even know, <laughs> man. <laughs> You're always so humble, man. Like, I don't know. It just comes to me, man. It's like a yeah. switch. Just, yep. you know. Well, uh, this Give me is- something. 
Whatever. <laughs> you'll you'll find gears it. up. I just need a, I just need a start and a finish. Yeah. However you get me there, it's up it. to you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, I've been Alvin Williams, joined as always by the immensely talented France star, Francel Evans. And uh, we'll see you guys next week. Cheers. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park.